And hello. Oh, hello. Oh, hi. Oh, oh hi. <gasps> what? Who said that? What? How did I get <laughs> How here? How did you get here? Oh, my God. Where? <laughs> that, that gag is so stupid. I love it. Oh, jeez. Oh, it's my, my God. favorite. Who said that? I this. Was sitting in my kitchen cleaning potatoes and... <laughs> As I do. <laughs> I wasn't going to eat them. I just like to clean them. I just them. like to clean them. As I, I re- regularly clean potatoes. I meant to say, I meant to say peel. <laughs> <laughs> just cleaning them with a wash rag and, and then some just putting them back. <laughs> like, I, don't even, I don't even peel them or eat them. I just, I just you know, just wash them. them nice. I scrub them with a little toothbrush and some Ajax yeah. for consumption later. <laughs> this is our buddy Chris. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I was everybody. Say, so this is Chris. Yes, Chris. <laughs> he likes to wash potatoes. Hi, everybody. Fun. Chris of the DudeCast. Yeah, of DudeCast um, fame. Of, uh, of Dudecast fame. Fame. Known fame. worldwide. Quote, quote. <clears throat> and we've mm-hmm. mentioned you several times on yes, this podcast. Yes, you have. That's mm-hmm. true. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited. I'm super happy to have you. I'm happy here. to have you. I'm also very nervous, and I don't know why, because this is normally <laughs> where I sit on Tuesday nights when we do the Dudecast. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is exactly the same. I mean, yeah. it's, it does, it's like no different than doing the Dudecast. Yeah. yeah, and we're smoking pipes, which is something you used to do regularly right. on the Dudecast. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. It's nice to have a pipe for that. I haven't had a, I haven't had much tobacco at all. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about this upstairs. It's been since November that I quit smoking. It's you said it's been about three years for you, almost three years. Yeah, well, smoking cigarettes, I still right. do the cigars and yeah, yeah. You know. But like basically, I haven't had a whole lot of tobacco over that time period. So every now and then, I like to have a cigar, or smoke a pipe, or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. It's, it's different. Mm-hmm. So. Dead, dead air. air. Dead, dead air. Air. <laughs> yep. mm. You guys enjoying this? Mm. <laughs> this dead air. I come on and then I bring the dead air. <laughs> yep. What I do. Listen to that delicious sound. The bring sound of the dead air. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> that is there great for. That is great podcasting. There you go. So uh, we got Dave's air conditioning fix. Oh yes. Oh. Thank oh goodness. Mercies. So. Like, what, Monday was it? My air conditioning just crapped out on us without any real warning. We It was Monday because I didn't have to work until 5 and I was sitting in your office and I was like, man, I feel really hot. Mm-hmm. And you were like, no, nah, it's fine. The air should be on. You went and checked. You're like, fuck. Yeah. fuck. The air is switched on, but nothing is happening. Uh, so we discovered that, you know, like it was, what, the air conditioning was set to like 77 degrees. It was like 84 in the house. Yeah. And I opened up the window and I listened and I'm like, nope, nothing's happening out there. Uh, so we just kind of, I, I went, okay, well, I, I can't deal with this right now. I'll just have to deal with this later. One day later, I had had enough. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> it was all of like maybe... 28 hours before I was making a call. Yeah, oh, you also had to work from home that day, yeah. so you were around for the whole day. Mm-hmm. Just stewing in your own stickiness. Exactly. Yeah, I was just like horrible. sitting in my office with no shirt on, just sweating and like trying to focus on work. <clears throat> and uh, basically by later in the evening, I was like, yeah. this is not happening anymore. That happened to us, I remember, at the house when I was uh, still living with mom. Mm-hmm. Um, the air went out in the peak of July. Oh my God. And it was like... Remember, like, we both ended up sleeping in the basement on the floor mm-hmm. because that was the only place that was relatively cool, and it was still just yeah. awful. I mean, yeah. it was just unbearable. So. Definitely done that. I'm really not... I, I'm very disappointed in myself how quickly I caved. No, don't be. It's horrible. It's yeah. horrible. I just yeah. thought I thought it would make it longer than that. You also had people over last night. Yeah. Cause, mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that later because that's what we're going to talk about for the middle segment mm-hmm. is D&D. Yeah. But um, I, I think... 
on top of feeling like crap because you were hot all day, you felt bad that it was warm, which the basement was still fine. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, wasn't that It was bad. maybe a little warmer than it normally is, but it was still... I felt fine down here. Yeah, it was surprisingly for squeezing, you know, eight or nine people around a table. It was pretty... Yeah, right. You know, pretty good. Could have so. been worse. Could have been a lot worse. But, uh, yeah, so basically we had, just a little bit ago, your cousin came over. And yes. he, you know, took the thing if apart. If he ever listens, thanks, Matt. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> what a freaking... Uh, I was amazed. He, t- he took the thing apart. He changed a capacitor. He basically, he was looking at everything. Party! <laughs> what? Yeah. Money! Money! Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe we shouldn't mention it, but this is a time travel air conditioner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah one of very few. Now people are going to be knocking down the door. It came mm-hmm. It came back. Back from, to... Back to... Back from, from the future. To, but no. But, from... Uh, oh, God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's worse than dead air. It's worse but than dead said, air, David. Yeah. But it's got to be your bowl. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyway... <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it, within like within like an hour, he had the thing fixed. He had like, you know, the best part about how he fixed it was that he had everything wired up right. And he couldn't figure out why it wouldn't start. And then he just started literally banging on yep. this box to jiggle whatever loose connection there was and then push it again and it started working. It's amazing how often that that is like blunt that force trauma. That is actually trauma. the yeah. answer. <laughs> uh, we, we used to have the heat go out at the house all the time and the solution is to literally get in there with steel wool and just scrape the carbon scoring off of the igniters. Yeah, right. And you know what I mean? Like there's no like fancy replacement piece you need. You just get, need to get like a, a toothbrush with some wire on the end just of it. Just get in and there and knock it. stuff off it. Exactly, right. Yeah, like all this old mechanical stuff, you really can just kind of bang it around right. a bit. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what happened, I guess, was that something was just jammed, and mm-hmm. so the power was still trying to go to the fan, mm-hmm. but it wasn't getting to it. And because of that, all the power was being directed straight to the capacitor, so the capacitor blew. Yeah. But then when he replaced that, it like, this is nonsense to people. <laughs> yeah, right. it's this like, was nonsense, nonsense to, me. to me, not an hour ago. It's still nonsense but, to me. But basically, it... <laughs> Once he replaced the capacitor, it's still the power wasn't going where it was supposed to be going because yeah, yeah. he was like, well, I guess we need to replace your fan, but that's weird because the fan blade is still going. Normally it would be locked up and like it, the power still seems to be trying to get to it, which yeah. is strange. And yeah. and then he knocked it around and it worked. Yep. That's the thing. Like, can we just talk about the fact that in the, like in the digital age and the information age, like a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the stuff we... A lot of our technology mm-hmm. stuff, you can't just smack it on stuff anymore, and I resent yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, I used to be able to regularly fix my old box TV by yes. smacking it on the side. Yeah. Like the picture it. would go out, you just whack it a couple times, and then it would come back all That of a was sudden. the whole purpose of Fonzie. Right. Right. Fonzie, yeah. Fonzie just banged on shit, and then Fonzie other magic shit. Fonzie would not shit. make sense to kids right. these days. No, right. No, he, he wouldn't. Because <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of things you could just hit, and they start working it anymore. Fonzie was actually really awesome. He was kind of. And he, like, uh, it was, like, uh, they did, like, a whole several storylines about how he was, like, super respectful towards women. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, beating up guys who were, like, you know. Although he was weirdly, like, a grown man living in someone's garage (laughs) or basement. Right, yeah, in the garage. And friends with all the local teenagers. (laughs) There are things about Fonzie that are weird. They're weird, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I'll give you that. Fonzie's like 32, and he's hanging out with all the 16-year-olds. They did go a long way to show that this weird 32-year-old is respectful to women. Yeah, so right, right. That's good. I think he also a- is responsible for the uh, the library boom in this country. 
I'm it, sorry. There was a. There, you didn't know about this? No. Okay. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? There was <laughs> a. There's a, an episode of. Uh, and actually, it was like the American Library <sighs> Commission, or I don't know, somebody that was. Uh, you know, trying to promote the library Some because it was governing body. <laughs> once Somebody told me. <laughs> once <laughs> told me libraries would roll me. Some. <laughs> 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 Anytime I hear that, I'm like, nope, I'm out. No. Some. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it was somebody was trying to like the, the libraries were on the decline and. Uh, at the time, the coolest character on TV and one of the most recognizable characters on TV was Fonzie. Yeah. So they, you know, talked to the writers of Happy Days and they wrote a bit for him on the show where he talked about getting your library card and going to the library. And oh, my God. Really? Like, within a week, <laughs> like, they saw, like, a 700% increase in people you know, getting their library cards. No kidding. Yeah, it was like a, a real thing. In fairness, who doesn't want to do exactly what the Fonz does? Yeah, he was awesome. It, Mondays, was Tuesdays, cool. reading days. Wednesdays, Thursdays, reading, reading days. days. <laughs> I mean, that's, he's, he's a cool dude. Yeah. He, he has a motorcycle. Yeah, a motorcycle. Cool he goes everywhere with two girls, you know, like he's got an arm around yep. two girls and he's always cool. And in the snap thing. Snaps snapping. and makes things happen. Yeah. Hey. Bangs on things. Says A a lot. When we saw Weezer, I think we talked about this on the show, but when we saw them, they opened with uh, Buddy Holly. Yeah. Yeah. And their stage was set up to look like... The set from Happy Days. Yeah. Yeah, The diner. The Mm -hmm. diner, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, So what is the moral of all this? Be like the Fonz? I don't know. I forget how we got here. Yeah, the Fonz is generally good and not creepy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, get a library card. Get a library card. Go to your library. Actually, I was use your about library that. online. Actually, yeah, you can um, download books, listen audio books from your library. Do they? Like, I've yeah, done it. Has that gotten better? Because back in the day, I feel like I remember the the online checkout process wasn't great. It, it has. I'm la- actually uh, last time I used it wasn't bad. I'm actually doing an audio book right now. Um, what is it? Probably enough. Uh, it's, this is going to sound really weird because we were just talking about how respectful the Fonz was towards women. <laughs> um, but it's a book uh, by a guy named uh, Iceberg Slim, um, who was a uh, an American pimp in the <laughs> – no, I'm serious – in the 1930s and the 40s. Okay. And uh, he kind of wrote his, 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 his wife at the time – this book was written in 1967. His wife said – you know, because he was having a hard time reconciling the life that he had led up to that point. And his wife said, you should write your stories down. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote a book. Uh, and in the forward, he basically said, this is an unapologetic look at the life that I led. And uh, I'm not going to glamorize it. Yeah. Uh, I'm also not going to pull any punches. So it's just his life story, how his circumstances led him into that position and the like really horrible, ruthless shit he did and how he's trying to reconcile all that. No kidding. That sounds really good, actually. It is really good. It's very, very good. Iceberg Slim. Iceberg Slim. It's called um, Pimp My Life uh, as an American hustler, I think is what it's called. No shit. Uh, It's It's called Pimp My Life. Yeah, right. It's very good. It's very good. It's very heavy. But uh, yeah, that's a... a, Yeah, I imagine it's probably pretty dark, It's dark. It's very, very dark. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's an, uh, an uh, it's an audio book, and because uh, I feel like I never, I can't read. Anymore. It sucks. Yeah. I can't read as much anymore know, either because either. the amount of concentration it takes, and I just don't, don't have, have it. Yeah. 
yeah. the um, ability to like remember. There's them. a great reason. The for comprehension. This. We've been training ourselves not to be good at concentrating. Right. Yeah. I mean, true. like when I look at my adult life, ever since you know, like basically since like turning around nineteen or twenty, yeah. when like. I started constantly surrounding myself with like forms, like, multiple forms of distraction. Noise and yeah. distraction. It's we have we have trained ourselves to not be very good at sitting in one place and focusing on one right. thing. I also don't give myself time to do that. Yeah, right. I don't give myself time to do that, and I, I think we also live in a society where we just feel bad if we're sitting in one place for too long. Yeah. And if we have, this is the second I week know. in a row. I'm on, I'm on I'm, notice. I'm going to make sure I put mine on silent too. <laughs> yeah, um, but we never give ourselves the time to just do that. Like, yeah. we're spending our time other ways now. Yeah. And it's something, I've bought so many books in the past two months. I know. Don't you feel guilty every and time I you buy a book? I need to be reading them. I did just finish... Um, the second Scott Pilgrim graphic novel. Oh, sweet. I saw those upstairs, yeah. Yeah. Dave very nicely bought me the whole set. I am pretty fucking yeah, great. How, yeah. how cool you are. Yeah. I I bought one once as a gift for someone else, and it was the first one in the series, and I did read it mm-hmm. after I gave it to that person. <laughs> so I'd read that one, but then yeah. it was a gift to them. And I couldn't take it, so (laughs) I didn't have it anymore. You can't just start from two and then not complete the set. (laughs) Right. right. We went to Youngstown, the Youngstown Comic Con thing, and the the little bookseller that's always there is really great, and they had the whole set, and it really was a decent price, so he very nicely got that for me, so I'm working my way through it. Again, awesome. Graphic novels are really easy to read. They are. I yeah, love reading graphic I love novels. That. Uh there's a there's one that I got for you. I don't think I don't think you finished it. I haven't yet. But it's uh it's called Blankets and I really liked it cuz it was like basically just like a like a high school into college romance story and it's just full it's of very all this embarrassment. Heavy, there's a lot of heaviness. There's like there's some really dark stuff in there. Yeah, that's like, the main reason I haven't finished it. Is I read a good portion of it and then it was like my bedtime Thing, and then I yeah. was like, this is really sad to read right before bed. <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah. This is something you read in the mid-afternoon when you still have time to, like, Defrag, decompress. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, but it's, uh, things like that are always really appealing to me. Like, a graphic novel is something you can kind of move through, and uh, and it's, it's it, I think it's a, a rich experience. You know? I, I got one called, was it called Derby Girl, I think? Um, it yeah. was written by someone who plays roller derby. Her name is uh, Winnie the Pow, <laughs> and she plays in Portland. Winnie and, the um, Pow. Yeah, she writes children's books. I think she might have illustrated it, too. And we saw it when we went to Maryland, and it was on sale. We went to a really cool Barnes & Noble out there. And it was on sale, and I was like, I need this. Yeah. I told a bookseller there, I told the person who worked there, I was like, I need this. Because she was like, are you finding everything okay? And I was like, yes. yes. I need this. I, I need, need this. this. Give me this. Um, it was 11 bucks. Yeah. Um, and I read it in the car yeah. the rest of the day mm-hmm. while we were driving around Baltimore. Yeah. And it was a great read and made me super happy. Yeah. So graphic novels, get some yeah. of those. Yeah, gosh. I, I really, now that you say, like, you know, wanting to find time to read and, and all that, I'm, I'm realizing... I think the time is there for me. I'm just not doing it. Right. Right. Yeah. Me too. Like all the jerk off time I spend on Reddit, like right. doing drinking nothing. off. Yeah, drinking off. 
<laughs> right. You know, I mean, just like wasting how Are much time jerking off. How many times do I like open an article like you won't believe what happens next with this little kid? Oh, and I'm fuck, like, I, I gotta read that. I gotta right. How many books kid? could I have read while I was instead reading clickbait? I, yeah, I'm gonna make a waste point of to time. like every time I go to open clickbait, be like, no, and grab the nearest book <laughs> yeah, and read right. a page. Seriously, yeah. that's I do, not even a joke. A I do strategy. have my bath books. Yeah, I. True. I am trying to read the entirety of the uh, Discworld series mm-hmm. only while in the bath. Okay. So <laughs> every time I take a jacuzzi bath at days, I have whatever book in the series I'm yeah, currently working on, and yeah. I read at least 10 pages every bath. You really, Usually should, more you really than that. should mark the baths on the inside of the thing so you know how many baths it took. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe next. I one. can I can count the dog-eared pages because I dog ear them. Oh, okay. So you actually do know how many baths? Yeah. Mm. On that, on this current book I'm on, I do because I started dog earing because I was like, why am I not dog earing this? I'm reading it in the bath. It's already ruined. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right? Like, this book will never return to its nice, neat, flat form. Right, again. and honestly, it shouldn't. Like yeah. that's it's a used book. This is going to be a very used book. <laughs> yeah, screw keeping everything nice and neat. It's a book, but I like it because that means when I take a bath, I look forward to not just a relaxing bath. I look forward to reading a cool story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I'm in the bath, I read Cracked.com. It's yeah. the only time I read Cracked.com, and it's always what I read. In the bath. I've tried three separate times to begin and get through Infinite Jest. <laughs> And I think the, the farthest I ever made it was like about 200 pages in. Yeah. It's it's one of those books where you need notes, like sticky notes to get through, and I'm not used to reading like that. Who is that. that by again? David Foster That's Wallace. That's what I thought. Yeah. I have that um, book upstairs. It's sitting in my 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 uh, bookshelf. Mm-hmm. I There's still a bookmark in it. Yeah. I may as well just start over. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It, it's I have it. Same thing. It's sitting in the living room on the uh, tchotchke shelf that I have. Now, for people that don't know what this book is, it's also like not only does this guy like making you work, and yes. he, there's a very good philosophy behind that, and he talked about that at length in like several interviews. But I mean, it's it's dense. There's a lot of characters, and. There's footnotes. Yeah, and it skips timelines. It, it takes yes. the, the book takes place over the course of like twelve years. Yeah, and it and it bounces in between those years and tells the story, kind of pulp fiction style, like disjointed. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's it's you know it's all over the place. It, it's also complicated because the years aren't even numbers anymore. No, they're because in the future, uh, this this very near future, every year is sponsored. Yeah, by a different organization. <laughs> so you have the, okay. the year of the depend adult undergarment. Yeah, the, the year of the uh, Charmin two ply bath tissues. <laughs> you know things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you don't even really know when is when. Right. You kind of yeah. have to piece that together yourself. Right. And I I get the virtue of making people work for their entertainment because I it's cause, we're just even less capable of yeah. doing it than we were <laughs> exactly. when he wrote it. I'm getting worse at that with time. I mean, maybe I'll pick that book. Well, and they okay. said it's the most important novel of its time. So they do say. I have goals for us. We need to get better at reading, and we need to memorize each other's phone numbers, David. I know. Oh, I no. don't know your phone number. I don't know yours either. Nobody. It's not just us. It's every. Nobody know. knows anybody's phone number. Guys, you know how old we sound right yeah, now, I right? I remember my old phone number from when I was a kid. Me too. I can't. I can't remember. Yeah, I was just listening to else's. something where someone was talking about like someone was demonstrating how our memory 
is much better the longer you yeah. had it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the newer the memory, the the less it is, the less you have to use it. It's not as good. Yeah. And they demonstrated this by saying, what was your first phone number as a child? And everyone can recite it. 330-792-3852. And um, then yeah. Call what, it right now. See who's got it. <laughs> right. Yeah. What was uh, your phone number that's not your current one, but the one right before it? Uh, bef- be- before that one? Three three zero. Not before your childhood number, but before your current number. The one, the one right, right before, before the one you have now. Uh, three three zero two seven zero three nine six three. Call I, that one. <laughs> I honestly don't think I have one. Aside from my home number. Wait, no, that was grandma's. It's not. <laughs> I remember. I do remember mine. I'm not going to say my, it. I remember it. I don't really remember the one before my current one because I've had my current one for like. Ooh. 10 years or something. I've had it a really long time. I've had it since I've had my own phone that I paid for. Gotcha. Yeah. And before that, I used a cell phone that I shared with my mom that I got from Dave. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. I've heard that. And story. it had um, <laughs> a South Park ringtone. Was, I've got something in my front pocket for you. Which my mom thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't change it before I gave it to you. Really it's no. like the same ringtone. Because that was my ringtone. We were going through the ringtones, and that was on there. <laughs> my mom thought it was great. For you. Why don't you reach into my pocket and see what, what it is? It's <laughs> really funny. <laughs> Oh my god! What you an know, asshole I am to like give you guys that and then just like have this weird, creepy. You ring gave me it. a phone for free. You're not an asshole. Oh, well, that's a nice way of thinking about it. Yeah, I don't complain when I get free shit. <laughs> um, All right, it's kind of feeling like it's a time. Chrissy, do you mean to say that it's the time <sighs> to play? The game that's sweeping the internet? Are we talking yes. about trues and fnews? Are we talking yeah. about trues and fnews? Oh, yes. Oh, man, it's time <laughs> for trues and fnews. I want you guys to know that since I wrote you a letter uh, yeah. last time, yeah. I have fallen off miserably <laughs> in my trues and fnews score. Oh, really? Yeah, I am not doing great. <laughs> you said you were like rocking. I it. was. I, I was like nine for nine. Yeah. The first, the first several that you did, and, and then I just not so hot now. Pew, really? Straight down the crapper. So <laughs> I got to tell you, I think I got. I think I, I think I got a challenge. Oh, oh yeah, I, think yep. I got a challenge yep. for you. Oh, where did that go? Okay, I'm with it's it. the it's a. Uh, By the way, this the game pipe makes this me game. talk in an accent. <laughs> Truth and Fnews is the classic news game in which in which Christy provides two false stories, one true story. We have to guess the true story from the false story, or, or the truth from truth, the news. Truth from the news. Man, I could have done that so much better. It's yeah. okay. That's all right. <laughs> anyway. Truth and Fnews, and I don't know this either. By the way, we're both playing. Yeah, you're both guessing. Oh, yes. Although I'm gonna win. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm, I'm kind of gonna crush you. <laughs> okay, you ready? I'm ready. I think so. <laughs> Employees of a UK Burger King will hear Toto's Africa 108 times today. <laughs> All right. So first one. Second one. Lock up your bananas. An invasive species nicknamed the monkey moth is coming for them. Ooh. And lastly, man who collects street signs wanted in 14 states for vandalism and theft of government property. Mm. Want to recap? Yeah, because dead like, air and also yeah, recaps no, are what yeah, we do. I'm, I'm because dead air, uh, dead <laughs> air. Um, 
First one again. Employees of a UK Burger King will hear Toto's Africa 108 times today. Second one. Lock up your bananas. An invasive species nicknamed the monkey moth is coming for them. And thirdly, man who collects street signs wanted in 14 states for vandalism and theft of government property. This is a good one. This is this a good, is one, a good for, one for <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> there's there's a couple of reasons why this is a good one. And that is knowing that at least two of these are fake, also at least two of these have some really good details. Yeah. And I'm wondering I'm wondering whether those details are plants to throw me off or whether, because, you know, true stories have a weird specific set yeah, of details like to them, Caden, too. Well, depending on the writer, too, there's the yeah. lock up your bananas. <laughs> <laughs> lock up your bananas. <laughs> Talking about the big monkey mouth. <laughs> Look at it. I'm getting, I'm getting better bananas. at messing with your head, too. Yeah, that's, mm. yes, you are. These are good. Okay, so... Mm. Uh, signed Vandal, mm-hmm. Monkey Moth, and Africa's Toto. Yeah, yeah. So g- read read Toto to me. What, Toto two. Toto two. <laughs> Toto two. Uh, employees of a UK Burger King will hear Toto's Africa one hundred and eight times today. I wonder why one hundred and eight. <sighs> right, exactly. That that's feels, what I mean. That's the one where it's like, is that is there a reason for that, or is she trying to fuck with my head? These are questions I can't answer. <laughs> I I want so badly for that for the monkey moth to be, I know. <laughs> to be monkey true. Monkey moth is really good. I want so badly for that to be the real one. Mm. Banana uh, pen. <laughs> pen. Pen pineapple. Pineapple pen. pen. Yes. Pineapple pen. Pineapple pen. I'm monkey gonna make a guess. Moth. I'm gonna make a guess here. Yes. I'm thinking it's I'm thinking it's the man who steals the signs. Okay. Mm. I think it's him. I can't really say why, but I do think that the specific number of times Toto is being played strikes me as a little odd. And I think Monkey Moth is too perfect. <laughs> See, monkey Moths are perfect. I, yeah. I think I, I think I'm going to go with Monkey Moth because, A, I want that to be the one. Yes. Um, so do I, actually. <laughs> and, B, I think because it's too perfect, someone had a – wherever that article is from, I think someone at the staff there went, ooh – <laughs> they went And then they just banged on the yeah. keyboard with yeah. both hands. Right. And yeah. then Yeah. So yeah, I'm going monkey moth, I think. Final answers. Final answers. Final answers. Both of you are wrong. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> we made the sound cut out there yeah, for we, a well, second. We just destroyed <laughs> Thank God for limiters. Yeah. Sorry guys. You like that um, high game. Shut up. No. Way. Yeah, both of you are wrong. Dude, wow. no shit. We just got swept. Wow. I am so excited. <laughs> wow. See? Oh, Christy, man. I, this might be the first time ever <laughs> on a, a guest episode where we've had multiple guessers and, and no one got it. two different wrong answers. Wow. But both wrong that's answers. Cool. That's yeah. two wins for you. you yeah, know, right. Yeah. So in, wow. the right one is the employees of UK Burger King will hear Toto's Africa 108 times mm-hmm. today. Why 108 mm-hmm. times? Mm-hmm. Because they put out um, on Twitter that if the their tweet was retweeted a certain number of times, they would play Toto's Africa all day <laughs> at one of their Burger King locations in the UK. 
And it was tweeted way more times. They wanted a thousand retweets. Retweets. (laughs) Retweets. Oh, that's on Twitter, right? (laughs) Yeah, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, They wanted a thousand retweets. They got like 6,600. Holy shit. So (laughs) they did it. And I think um, they did the math. Uh, Burger King employee on an eight-hour shift will hear the song played either 96 times if it's the album version or 108 and a quarter times if it's the radio edit. Either way, our thoughts and prayers are with the employees at this difficult time. Because that means the employees have to listen to nothing yeah, but that song all yeah. day, which is an amazing song, and I really right. do love it. But nothing but that, I'll repeat, will make yeah. anyone go crazy. That would be hard. That would be hard. Yeah. I guess it would. I really love that song, and I think I'd be good for, like, the first four hours. Yeah. I wonder if they could, I, like, you know. wear headphones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it was a, a contest they did, and I think uh, the band Africa actually retweeted them. No kidding. Yeah. It's you know, like, this is like a thing again now. It, it, wait, did you say the band Africa? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the wait. band Toto. The band, yeah, the band, the band Africa. Africa. <laughs> and their hit song Toto about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> You've broken me. Oh man, that hit song Toto. I listen to that song. I would. I would too. I listen to the song about Toto. The little keyboard brother. Yeah, Toto retweeted it and said, "Does this come with fries?" Could have been better, Toto. It's all right. It's a lukewarm tweet. Maybe they should have held the line on that one. The joke wasn't really on time. What I'm talking about? No, whoa, whoa. Oh, well, I am so excited that I stumped you both. That I'm impressed good. with you. That was pretty good. That was good. Um, there it. is no such thing as a monkey mouth, but I want it to be true also. Yeah, yeah you know what? Lock up your bananas. Lock up, lock up your bananas. Lock up your bananas. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can just like picture the guy saying it. Yeah. And the, uh, the sign collector one was the one I thought of on the way over to Dave's house. Oh. And then because after I thought of it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the one. And then I got distracted thinking about other things and forgot it. <laughs> and so I got here and I was like, fuck. <laughs> and then I remembered it. You done stumped us. I stumped you. I gotta say, well done. Not bad. Well done. I'm pretty proud. I can't tell the truths from a hole in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone the fnews. Let alone the fnews. To say nothing of the fnews. <laughs> well, I think we'll transition right into our middle seggy. Yeah. 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 So we were we were thinking about talking about, I almost want to talk about two different separate things. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Because there is something that happened this last weekend that we have not talked about on this podcast and are unlikely to again, which was the Rough and Rowdy Brawl. Oh, yeah. Oh, Yeah. Which I think actually oh, kind of yeah. bears discussion. I oh, think we should. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I think it bears discussion because it was, for me, a, like a first ever live fight yeah. type environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, You've never seen wrestling live? No, never seen wrestling live. Oh, yeah. The next oh, time they do... Uh, we should do that. Yeah, the next time Monday Night Raw comes to Cavelli, we should go. We yeah. talked about doing that. Yeah, it'll be fun. That's That's one everybody can go to and not feel like... I've gone to several wrestling yeah. events and they're always fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it's always fun. 
this was uh, so the rough and rowdy brawl is a thing put on by Barstool Sports. This was their fourth uh, uh, event where they do essentially. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'll wait. <laughs> hold on, guys. Guys, hold on. No, don't I'm do. Sorry. Don't do this right in front. Of, don't do it right in front of the microphone, please. I thought maybe I could be quiet about eating this chip. Oh, oh no. God. <laughs> Okay. All right. Sorry. All right. I'm done. No, I love, I'll eat them later. I love, how, I love how suddenly you like went all the way out of range <laughs> of the microphone. I was trying to go this way, but then there was a dog there, so yeah. it was blocked. So I had to go the other way. It just didn't work. In our defense, <laughs> both of these chips are really good. We have dill pickle chips, and we have lightly salted Pringles. Oh my god! You know what? Like at the break, we got us. We got to smash on some oh, snacks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is the fourth event they put on. It's amateur boxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had 34 fights. Yep. Um, and they did this at the Cavelli Center, downtown Youngstown. Um, it's basically four hours of entertainment. Yeah. Uh, every fight is a maximum of one minute round, three rounds of fight. Mm-hmm. And they just pair up all these people that don't know shit about boxing. Or yep. some yeah. of them that kind of do know a lot about boxing, actually. Or at least how to stand your ground, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and what shoes to wear? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> uh, it was it was a real hoot to watch, and I thought it, I thought it might be worth talking about just like what that experience was like. You know, you know, to set this up properly. Yeah, I think we need to say that you guys, you, Chris, Ben, and Alec mm-hmm. all went yes. to the event, and me, our friends Jen and Mel and Aubrey mm-hmm. stayed at home and watched the pay-per-view yeah. version. So we all yes. were watching the same thing at the same time and had two very different experiences. <laughs> I yes. think so. And I intentionally, I didn't, you guys were going to do this as like a dude's night thing. And then you realize it was on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And which is a night we normally all hang out together. And you said, you know, we could get tickets if we wanted, but I didn't have the extra cash and I really didn't want to go because I had the feeling that it was going to be the kind of thing where a lot of audience members oh, would be drunk and belligerent hammered. men. You were correct. And you were I correct. didn't want to be around hammered. that. Oh, you were correct on both counts. Yeah. But I really enjoyed watching it from home. So yeah. it was fun. A lot of fun. It was interesting because, you know, like, uh, the, so like there, there were a handful of headline fights. That they had sort of teased and promoted, you know, via, like, YouTube and their Twitter account and all that ahead of time. But the vast majority of the fights were just a couple of nobodies, usually someone from the Pittsburgh area and someone from the Youngstown area. Yeah, Yeah, they were doing a real big PA versus Ohio thing. Yeah. Uh, And almost all of them were a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which they also was, had a ring girl contest. Yeah, that was so. That was a whole thing. The, the the I think I told you the most obnoxious and annoying part of that was listening to the, the guys over my us. shoulder, yeah. these idiot pig head dudes. Yeah, who yeah. were incidentally looked like shit. They looked like <laughs> ugly, doofy, redneck assholes. Yeah, right. You're, they weren't. They're not like winning any contests. It's funny because. So, it, part of the commentary from the fight that uh, that we're going to watch together at some point. You you have to watch this with me. But we, Christy and I rewatched it the other day, and yeah, and we've now watched this whole thing two times. <laughs> yeah, which is going to be three times yeah. by the time I watch it with you guys. But that was part of the the commentary panel even addressed the fact. You know, there, there, there were these guys that were holding up those big numbers. Yeah, with signs. the signs. Yeah, they were yeah. rating the ring girls from the audience. They're essentially evaluating women from right behind the booth. Yeah, and I remember like hearing them say something like turn around and be like, "Yeah, these guys are 
Yeah, like who the, who they, the hell are these guys? They made multiple comments. The announcers made multiple comments, which in, one of the announcers was Bill Burr, which yes. is one of the reasons Didn't he wanted to go. Didn't mention that, yeah. Um, but they made multiple comments about the guys doing the ratings, like... These guys are a solid three combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Why are right. they rating yeah, right. them? Exactly. And we should have these guys try to have a conversation with these all of these women in person earlier and see how or later and see how they fare. Yeah, like <laughs> stuff like that. Which I was like, I'm glad they're giving them a little pushback on yeah, this. Yeah, right. Uh, there was there was a lot of obnoxious dude behavior yeah. there. If which, you're a dude who looks like me, you don't have the right to really like yeah. judge anybody. Yeah, like what in the world compels you? To look at anyone and go, eh, eh, you're whatever. Right. Six out of ten. Mm. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's like the thing that was annoying to me was like just these like just drunk idiot guys being like, oh, well, fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's like, I don't care who you want to fuck. Shut <laughs> up. Like, right. Just please shut up. Um, I think you were right uh, to not want to be there. Yeah. But I think it was a real hoot for, for us to see it. And... The thing, the real reason I wanted to talk about it was what I thought was the most interesting part of the whole thing, which was the gay Pat fight. Yeah, gay Pat. Gay Pat. Pride versus prejudice. They build it as pride versus prejudice, which Mm -hmm. was such a funny idea to me. The hardest that we saw Bill Burr laugh the whole night. Yeah, right. (laughs) During that fight. Yeah. Yeah. So gay Pat was an employee of Barstool Sports Mm -hmm. who agreed to do this fight against a local-ish person who was a two-time ex-convict. Yeah, and I think they really played they up. I think even in the commentary, they commented that like they really played up that whole thing yeah. of like him yeah. not liking gay people. Right, I don't exactly. think he don't really think he has will. an opinion. Because yeah, he hugged him yeah. at the end of the fight. Yeah, yeah right. Like, <laughs> well, they but wanted they to make it this, seem like that. They had this shtick going that like he was he was going to beat the gay out of him, and he was like that. The gay Pat <laughs> was like, "That's not going to happen. I'm going to kiss him gay at the <laughs> end of the fight." And like. <laughs> They had this whole shtick, but it was, it was really, like it was really fine. obviously, yeah, tr- it was, just shtick. Yeah, and one of these people was way more prepared than the other yeah. person, and that person was Gay Pat. Gay Pat whooped yeah. his ass. <laughs> so the thing, and was wearing amazing shorts. Yes, the best shorts of the night. Yeah, he said in his promo, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat his ass, and then I'm gonna eat his." No, ass. he said, "I'm gonna eat his ass." <laughs> that was I'm the other way around. I'm gonna yeah. eat his ass. Then I'm going to beat his ass. Yep. I mean, like, what a completely awesome. silly... I mean, it was just... It was... They were having fun, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing... The reason I wanted to talk about this in particular was the fact that, like, when I heard that that was going to be a fight, I'm like, what is Youngstown going to do with this? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I was like, I was like, is my city going to embarrass me by being, like, especially noxious, homophobic about it? Yeah. Absolutely not. No, the they case. went fucking nuts. The entire the entire arena was chanting for Gay Pat the minute he was out there. Youngstown kind of surprised me in a couple ways. The yeah. other way they surprised me was um, in the Ring Girl contest. There was a girl named Jess mm-hmm. who is a cam girl, and she fought in a rough and rowdy fight. The last one, it didn't do very well, but. I think she's just now involved because yeah, right. she's just like a person that people know everybody about. Everybody loves cool. her, yeah. Right. So um, she does cam girl stuff. She is like a, a plus size woman. Mm-hmm. It, she's real fit though, mm-hmm. and so she decided to enter the um, ring girl contest. And they were like, "We told everyone if you let her enter the contest, she's going to win." Yep. Yeah. But because she is like, she's a plus size woman, mm-hmm. and. You know that, like, 
attitudes vary on that every five seconds. Right. Yeah. And when you have someone in a ring girl contest who is arguably the biggest person in the contest, it was like this could go poorly. Yeah. Right. And people can be real big dicks. Yep. Everyone loved her. Oh, and she was everyone's favorite. Right. Well, that's what we said in the arena. Is like you know they're like oh we're gonna do the ring girl contest and the whole crowd picked. I mean, <laughs> instantly, basically, immediately, we had known thirty minutes into the night who was going to win. Yeah, yeah. But, but but you're right because the thing is, there's still there's still again the the old idiot guys bag behind us. Yeah, this guy behind me going on the young side. Oh, yeah, I can't believe this. I'm gonna go go back to my house, and jerk off. <laughs> I'm gonna go and sit and look at the wall alone. Yeah. I'm going to go watch videos of this girl. Right. right. <laughs> I'm going to go drink my steel reserve and cry into my oatmeal. Yeah, it's like I knew that that attitude was, I mean, it was certainly around, but I wouldn't have known it if that guy wasn't sitting right behind Yeah, me. right. But yeah. for the most part, like, the entire crowd was. Yeah. Like, Young, Youngstown selected. Yeah. Almost immediately. Yeah. Well, also, she was entertaining. She was yeah. awesome. Yeah, like, she, she did, was like, trying. four cartwheels. Yeah. Yeah. Kicking she kept ass. doing round-offs and landing in a split and then doing, like, some booty dancing. And I was like, <laughs> that looks exhausting. Can, can anybody at this table do a cartwheel? Nope. nope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nope. I've, I've never in my entire no. life. The peak ever. of my physicality right now is putting on roller skates and rolling yep. around a bit. Like, mm-hmm. I st- I'm surprised yeah. I can do that. I stirred a free. pot of soup. That was <laughs> That's the most exercise I got all day. I have to pick up my foot and put it on my own knee to tie my shoes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's that, where that's I'm, where I'm at, at right now. <laughs> I can't just get I have to grab the, the ankle of my pants. You guys ever put... have to lift your belly to do something? Yes, I have. Yep. I hate that. Yeah, this uh, this is a real fat podcast. (laughs) (laughs) As I eat chips while we talk about it. Uh, So I definitely wanted to talk about Rough and Rowdy, but we could also uh, briefly, if you want to, talk about uh, our our D&D campaign. Yeah, Because I know you wanted to talk about it. It's up to you folks. I just thought you were looking for something to talk about. Yeah, I I was having a hard time with ideas today for the middle segment. Um, No, it's been really good so far. Yeah, we had a session yesterday, which is why it feels appropriate to talk about it right now. We mentioned that we were going to play. We mentioned it in the past, but we haven't really talked in detail about it. I think you're right. I think we might have mentioned it briefly last week. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, um, you guys started playing and I basically wasn't sure if I was going to be able to fit it into my schedule because I've got a lot of stuff going on. So I made a deal with Matt, who is our DM, mm-hmm. and I told him that like when it fits in my schedule, I'll talk to him and we'll come up with... Yeah. He had actually several ideas, so he was cool with me coming in... Kind of as like an NPC character that he right. creates, and I can just slip in and play that. Yeah. So um, that worked out really well. So the last two times you've played, I have joined you guys, and it's been a lot of fun. And in particular, last night, we really, it was the first time I got to do any kind of like fighting or anything yeah, with you right. guys, which yeah. was super fun. And we kind of crushed it. I don't think we were supposed to crush it the way we crushed Mm-mm. it. I don't think so either. And, uh, we definitely crushed it. Yeah. Well, yeah. What We basically started off, we had just entered this new dungeon we didn't know anything about, uh, and we had to fight. Uh, we had to solve multiple puzzles. We had to fight some really cool monsters. There were a few of them that we almost definitely shouldn't have been able to fight the way we did. Mm-hmm. Um. And everyone got to, like, 
you know, utilize some of their cooler abilities. Like, you had a really awesome ice crossbow. Yeah. That just kind of ripped its way through everything you shot the, with it. The thing was, when it came up to the last guys we fought, though, it really seemed like it wasn't doing as much damage as it felt yeah, like it, it should was, do. It wasn't doing as much damage as I thought it should have you done. Know, I thought that it should have done a certain amount of damage, and the amount of damage it did was not as much as I thought it should have done. Right. Yeah. That was That's a running gag from the night, because... <laughs> The things we were fighting were resilient against, like, everything. Yeah. Resistant to everything, I guess, Gable, is the right Gable word. Gable said, like, 20 times. You know, it's not just... It's just... It's not doing as much damage as you think it should. <laughs> <laughs> the like, thing... I don't think that means what you think it means. It became our motto, basically. Yeah, it really did. Um, but we had a really cool time. I became a fucking bear. You yeah. were... Yeah, you turned into a bear. bear. I was a fucking bear. You were a fucking bear. <laughs> I got the cool. kill shot, which was super you did. exciting. It's always good oh, yeah. to get the kill shot. And I got to say a witty line. Yep. yep. Which, you have which to I chose. Your witty line. Um, these things we were fighting had like kind of like a tentacle beard sort of thing. And so I said, looks like your beard could use a trim. And then mm. I shot a bolt of lightning at them, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super satisfied. Yeah. It made me super. Well, what made me super happy was I said that line and everyone at the table cheered. Yeah, right. And I felt like a <laughs> yeah. real hero. Because you have to, do, yeah, you have to do your one-liner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone needs a good one-liner. Yeah, I didn't get to have a one-liner when I killed my guy because I was a bear. But right. if I had, <clears throat> it would have been pretty, been pretty witty. Well, the cool thing <laughs> is you get to pick when you finish a battle. Yeah, like oh, a big right. Fight, you get to pick your specific. What it looks like, right? Didn't you get it for our first I, fight I, ever? I did. I got it. I got it for the first fight ever. I leapt off of somebody's back and stabbed downward on someone. Yeah, right. You and, like chopped a muck monster. Uh, in I, half. I, I can't remember what my one liner was. Me either. It was something silly, but it, <laughs> but it was the same. It, you know, everybody, you gotta gotta cheer for the big. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I really like playing. And I've just been thinking about the fact that as adults. We don't give enough credit to doing creative things. Yeah. And I think, especially stuff like D&D, it gets written off as like a nerd thing. Mm -hmm. And sure, it's nerdy. But it is. The thing that's fun about it is you're being creative. You're inhabiting a character for a little bit. And there's not that many people that get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And to get yourself out of being yourself for a minute or to just do something that is creative is fun. When I was coming up with the last news quiz, headline on the way over here i came up with it and was so like happy with myself and relieved that i I was done done coming up with them and my next thought was all people should do this Yeah. yeah all people should have something like this that they do on the regular that is something creative only if it takes five minutes Right. It's just rewarding when you think of something clever. Yeah. And it's the same way with D&D. When you come up with a backstory for a character, when you come up with a witty one-liner, when you look at everything you have available to use as your character and you do something really cool, Yeah, it's just great to use your brain that way. We don't have a whole lot of... There's not a whole lot of things that you can do that just are purely creative <laughs> exercises that... You know, there's there's just not we just don't have a whole lot of like imaginative outlets. Yeah. Not not creativity, I guess, but imagination. Yeah. And I have to say, like most of the people that are playing D and D with us right now, most of you guys are pretty new to it. Yeah, I've never played. This is my first campaign, right. so you, you're crushing it. Yeah. 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 And Am you I? Yes. Good. Dave, you had played but you've never played <clears throat> this version of D. Yeah, we used to had I. we used to play uh, Middle, uh Middle Earth, oh, okay. which is like I think it's a the Pathfinder Lord of the series. Rings. Yeah. 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 
and you know, it's I, they're similar, but this is very different. Playing with you guys is very different. Yeah. Uh and uh and this in particular is just different. I had played before, but not for a very long time, but I played my senior year of high school for basically the whole year. And it it is always different depending on the DM, and I think Matt's a really good DM. Oh my god, yes he um, is. But I just wanted to compliment everyone in the group because everyone stays in character so well. Yeah. And there's a little bit of like us getting off topic and just gabbing sure. or whatever, but in general, when we are playing, everyone's doing things in character. Yeah. And that's like really tough to do yeah. to get yourself outside of like, well, what would I do and what would my character do? Yeah. And anytime there's that debate of like, well, I know I would do this, but I think my character would do this. I love that because yeah. it's like you're using your brain so hard right now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have the fun as you get to pretend to be someone else for a little bit. And, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, go through the, go through the challenge of, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a, uh, it's, it, it's, it, it rewards, it rewards experimenting creativity and risk taking yeah. in a way that, uh, I would say, like, regular life doesn't reward that so much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. regular living rewards, you know, well, stability and, uh, you know, You uh, don't get the opportunity to always do those things in real life because you have real life consequences. Right. When your consequences are maybe your character dies and you just roll up a new character, yeah. you're a little more free to take risks and it be rewarded for them. Yeah. So, so. it's nice. And we've been having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. I, I like enjoy it quite a bit. I feel like we might have already. No, I think it was actually on an episode of the Dude Cast where I recommended <laughs> just like I recommend to people to find a group of people willing to do this and yeah. play. Yeah, it. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I I feel like in my life there are several people who want to play. Yeah, I know. all the time. I know. Right. So I know that like we're a, a weird bunch, <laughs> we're a unique yeah. bunch, and we just kind of have people around us that are like us. But find a group. Yeah. Find a group that wants to play or do something else creative, even if D&D is not your thing. Find something creative to do. Yeah. I think that's a good recommendation in general. I think it might be time for, for us to take a little break. A little break break? A little break break? A little break break? A little break And then uh, Chris is actually going. He I, did the research. Yeah. I did uh, <clears throat> a little research for you guys. I am horrified that I might have a little too much and I'm going to bombard you, but I'm going to try to be fine. This is what we want. I want to be as concise as possible. Bombard so. away. This is, we want, we want, we want the meats. You know what I'm saying? Dun, have you, have you, have you, you have the meats? All right, let's take a little break, break. All right, we'll All be right. back in a minute uh, with more of this episode. Bye. I just hiccuped. <laughs> All right. And we're back. In the brief time since we stopped recording, we have filled this room with snacks. We so have many snacks. Even more snacks. <laughs> there are, I count, seven snacks. Nope. There are three kinds of Pringles, two bags of Lay's chips, <laughs> and some and pretzels. pretzels. That is six whole snacks. Yeah. Yes. And beer. And beer. Mm -hmm. Clearly, and we're hungry and thirsty. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but we are not going to do that. We're not just going to sit here and eat snacks. We're, we're not. <laughs> we're not. We're, we're not. We're, are you sure? No, we, are you sure? Absolutely not doing that. Okay. I have my fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> totally not. Um, no, but, I'm going um, to put a uh, pause on the snack eating. Yeah. Yes. At least for a short while. Yes. And instead, we are going to talk about the main subject of this episode, <clears throat> which is why our good buddy Chris is here yes. to tell us all about the Montreal Screwjob. That's right. I couldn't remember what city it was. <laughs> Mon- Montreal is. I was the, like the Monterey. I, I the Monterey remember. Aquarium. <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, I don't really know for sure. This what. was a topic that was suggested by the one Adam, my best friend. The one. The one. Uh, Hi, he's Adam. been listening and uh, cursing at me because he has to hear my stupid voice while he's on the break at work. <laughs> Did he actually say like he was mad that now he is like listening to us yes. on his lunch breaks? <laughs> Just cool. I'm I'm good yeah. with that. Well, now he has to hear my stupid voice oh, talk yeah. about something that he probably knows a lot more about than I do. So. Yeah, that's great. There's a lot of stupid voices that I go think, through this podcast. But. I think Adam's goal was to get me to do research on this, yeah. but I uh, circumnavigated that by having you talk about it. <laughs> um, but I am going to be learning about it yes. because you're going to yeah. tell um, us uh, I guess I should pose this question to the table yeah. um, since I can't pose it to the listeners at home. <laughs> How much, if anything, do you guys know about this event? I know very little because I briefly looked it up just to get a gist of what it was. Okay. I know enough about this that, well, okay, I should say I knew something about this because you told me about this yeah. and I forget almost all um, of it. I'm, I'm assuming that your listeners uh, are, are either, they're going to fall into one of many categories. Yeah. People who have heard about this and maybe know a little bit but don't know the details. Yeah. Uh, people who know absolutely nothing about it, and people know who who know quite a bit about it. Wrestling yeah. fans, you know, really in depth. I'm assuming fans. a lot of people are not going to know a lot about this. Yeah, I, I'm guessing, knowing the kind of people that listen to this show, um, yeah. I, I would assume probably a lot of people maybe don't know. Yeah. Um, and I, I was guessing that you guys didn't know a lot either. So I apologize if you're listening to this and you do know a lot about it and you're just going to be fast forwarding through most of this. Um, I'm going to try and be as concise as possible, but I also I also want to, you know, I want to be detailed. So. Yeah, we want the yeah. deets, man. Um, we want the deets. I showed you guys my notes. I wrote a fuckload of notes he here. Did. He wrote like 15 I, pages yeah, of and, notes. Well, and that's not even like the aftermath of everything. Oh. So there's I just I got to the point where I was like, you know what happened. So just you know, tell the story. Sure. Um, it's, it's an interesting story to tell because the event itself is just like a short little snippet. Uh, what's more important is what led to it. Yeah. Why it led to it. Uh, and then what happened after, because uh, as a wrestling fan, uh, you could argue that the Montreal screw job is maybe the most important moment Ever. <laughs> yeah, like for um, all of wrestling. For all of wrestling. And there's been a lot of super important moments. Um, yeah. But this did a, a lot so uh, for the sport. How does this rank next to Vince McMahon tearing both quads <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the ring? Yeah, right. Um, it, no, that's it, pretty funny. That but. video looks so painful, yeah. but also so funny. Because there's nothing funnier <laughs> than an enraged man being able to do nothing. But yeah. sit on his butt and just be angry and yell at people <laughs> from his direct butt. Direct the rest of the show. He's got his hands on his hips just going, what the hell is this? Son of a bitch. He doesn't have um. a mic, so you can't hear what he's saying. It's 
It's, it's, it's horrifying and hilarious. It's a moment that should be accompanied with womp, womp, womp. It's like very Curb Your Enthusiasm um, moment. But no, the, the Montreal Screwjob, for reasons that I will get into towards the end of my tale, uh, is the probably the most important moment uh, in professional wrestling, okay. um, in, in my opinion at least, because it has far-reaching implications for what the, the sport looks like now. Okay. Um, so before we do that, we have to kind of set the stage here and go into a little bit of backstory. Set, set it ring. for me. Set the ring, as it were. <laughs> set um, it for me. And to do that, we first have to talk about a couple res- insider wrestling terms that are now – used to be something that um, marks – that would be what most fans of wrestling would be called were marks. Okay. Uh, audiences. Audience members presumed to be gullible. It's funny, yeah, because that's the same language of con men. Yeah. Yeah. This is a mark. Yeah. They're yeah. presumed to be – gullible uh there's also a smart a, or a smart mark a mark who's in on a little bit but you know maybe not as much as he liked to think he would be okay um but we're going to talk about some wrestling terms because i'm going to be speaking in a lot of insider terminology for this and i want everybody to kind of be on the same page for this nice um a face is the good guy named for baby face heel bad guy Mm-hmm. You know, pretty simple stuff. Uh, um, I've been watching a lot of Glow, so I know like 10% uh, I think I know that. I think I know everything you're about to talk about here. <laughs> um, to bury someone yeah. uh, is to push a wrestler to the bottom mm-hmm. of the card uh, or to make them lose their drawing power. So mm-hmm. if somebody is is uh, what we would call white hot or they're up at the top, mm-hmm. uh, if if a uh, uh, someone were to bury them, say someone in management, if they made a mistake, the management would give them some kind of stupid gimmick to push them to the bottom of the card. Uh-huh. Or a veteran wrestler who doesn't like them getting a push would push them to the bottom of the card by basically – you know, either beating them in a match or, you know, giving them something stupid to do to, like, kind of make them lose their drawing part. That's what burying someone is. Okay, okay. so it's essentially what? Like, giving them less fights? Giving them more Well, give, not necessarily giving or? them less fights, but, like, giving them something stupid to do so that people don't care anymore. Gotcha. Or yeah. making, making them lose. Making people turn against them a little yeah, bit. Yeah, make, making them lose to the point where they're, like, not powerful anymore. Gotcha. Um, okay. To get heat from some from a, a crowd uh, is, is – heat is basically, like, the reaction from a crowd, typically negative. They're getting a lot of heat. Yeah. Um, to job – a job is a staged loss, uh, clean, like a clean loss. Not There's no, like, stuff going on. There's no, like, uh, somebody came out and interfered. So when you job out to someone, you're losing clean to them right. to make you, them look better. You took, you took the job of losing. Correct. Uh, kayfabe, this is an important one. Kayfabe is basically like the wool over the eyes, right? Uh, yeah. So it's the knowing the insider info. It's cape, to be in kayfabe is to be in storyline. Uh, breaking kayfabe is breaking character. You're You're letting the – audience in on the inside basically it's like it's like fourth wall yeah like fake it's like pig latin for fake i think is where that came from oh uh, okay um to go over means to cleanly beat another wrestler of an equal or a higher position so you're going over you're you're giving that person uh the push uh incidentally a push is uh just what it sounds like it's pushing someone up towards the top of the card that could be a push from management to you know, get them higher, you know, in the, in the opinion of the crowd to make the give them more drawing power or a push from another re- wrestler, usually a veteran, um, uh, by making them look good in the rings. Things, okay. things like that. And when you're saying the card, 
what you really mean, I guess, is what the full roster of the, available wrestlers. Yes, and, 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 and they rank and they're drawing power. And, exactly. Okay. So like uh, it's like a set list of wrestlers, gotcha. right? When they're going to be playing, like or fighting. Exactly. So like the undercard would be the the matches that go on before a show airs. Sure. Lower card would be like your guys that don't draw a lot, but names that people still recognize that kind of like warm the crowd up. Yeah. Mid carders, um, you know, in the the nineties and early two thousands, the the WWF World Wrestling Federation, as it was called at the time, had a lot of high talent mid carders. Okay, um, that would that would be the bulk of the show. Yeah, uh, and that would kind of keep get people into it. And then your upper card, your your high end guys, your superstars, your your high draw power it's, guys. It's like the. Mm-hmm. Boxing, the amateur boxing that we saw. It's like the yeah. ones that they told us about that we really, you wanted to go Your to see. Headline Your headline. Your Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, a spot is a key event in a match. Okay. Uh, when you see something like that. Uh, I already talked about a push. Uh, a, uh, we're going to get into the three most important definitions here for what we need to talk about for this. Okay. Um, a work. Uh, a work is basically a deception, a falsehood. So, um, good example of a work at, at WrestleMania 17, Stone Cold Steve Austin did the unthinkable, and uh, he paired up with Vince McMahon, who was his arch nemesis yeah. for the several years previous. That was a work. That was that. That wasn't something that happened. You know what I mean? That was in storyline. Basically, that was right. something that was supposed to happen. Okay. Um, a shoot is the opposite of that. A shoot would be the real deal. So when someone says that they're in a shoot fight, they're fighting for real. Uh, that has happened in the ring. Several times where guys will go out and someone will piss someone else off and they just start it's beating the shit out of each other. Not necessarily in storyline. Really? So, yeah. A shoot is just like the real thing. It's. Uh, I feel like know. it probably doesn't happen very often. But it yeah. does happen. But it happens. It definitely happens. And the last term that you're going to need to know is a screw job, which I'm guessing you guys can kind of figure out what a screw job is. I, um, I, I, I Someone is shoot screwed out of something for some reason. Um, this has happened a couple times, but none have been more big than the one we're about to talk about. So it's so. not in the storyline. It's a fight for real that yep. screws someone else over. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an event, not even necessarily a fight, but like an event that is, I don't know how to explain it without unscripted. getting into this. Unscripted bullshit, basically. Okay. Basically, um, someone is not in on what is actually going exactly. to happen. Exactly. And that is going to be key. A heck and bamboozle, you might say. Yes. Yeah, it's a heck and bamboozle. That's going to be key to what we're going to be talking about here. Okay. Um, so I have to set the stage and introduce the key players uh, of this story. I love the way you're telling this, by the way. Uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. I specify Vincent K. McMahon because... Uh, his father is Vincent J, and we're going to talk about him a little bit here, uh, just to kind of set everything up. Vince K is the Vince McMahon I know. Yes, Vince Vincent yeah. get the you know the big the one who do, tore both his quads. <laughs> no chance if that's what you, that's that's Vincent K McMahon. Okay, um, Brett the Hitman Hart, uh, one of the participants in the match that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Uh, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. These are mm-hmm. also these are like golden age wrestling for yes. me. They're when I grew up watching wrestling. So mm-hmm. They were like all my faves. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Shawn Michaels, Mr. WrestleMania, the showstopper. <laughs> um, uh, referee, senior referee Earl Hebner. He will be important uh, for uh, reasons that you will find out later. Uh, Jim Ross, the head of talent relations, also good old JR. You recognize oh. him from commentary. By God, that killed him. Yeah, right. Uh, that's Jim Ross. Isn't uh, he always wearing a hat? Yep. Uh, big Oklahoma Sooners fan, cowboy hat. Okay. Uh, Vince Russo, who was the head writer at the time that all this was happening. Um, 
And uh, I guess I'll throw him a shout out because he's my favorite wrestling figure ever. Uh, Jim Cornette. I, I listened to a couple of his interviews to do my research for this. Nice. Um, he was a booker for WWF at the time. Um, and he had uh, he had a booker for a lot of uh, promotions uh, back in the day. Uh, and he's one of the smartest wrestling minds, I think, in the industry. Is he the guy? I could be wrong. Uh, I feel like Botchamania. The has... Cornette face. Yeah. That's right. He's got this the Jim Cornette face. particular weird expression on his face that Bachamana has used many times. Yep. Yeah, he sells those T-shirts from his website now. He loves that oh, meme. Really? Yeah, I, I kind of want to buy one. Um, okay, he's embraced the meme. If, yes. if anyone who doesn't know what Bachamania is, it's basically like... Uh, it's like a weekly thing, show online. Things it, that happen during wrestling that is like... They're trying to sell the moves, but maybe they don't quite do it. Yeah, yeah. In, the, so it's just like a close close ups of them not quite selling. Yeah, yeah. A botch is like any missed spot or any screwed up spot, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, botch mania highlights that pretty good. Um, but yeah, let me. Uh, we're we're gonna because the Montreal screw job is such a small event, and and the most important things are the st- setup for it and what happens after. We're gonna do a little bit of setup. Um, so the, okay. the we start kind of in the golden age of wrestling, which is the eighties. This is where we know like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, The Ultimate Warrior, yeah. Andre the Giant, Ted DiBiase, all those the guys. Iron you know, Sheik. Iron Sheik, right, mm-hmm. all those guys. Um, it, it basically, as, as simple as you can get with entertainment, good guy versus bad guy, you know, uh, really simple kind of storylines. Uh, this is this is like the big drawing power. The Lots big of stereotypes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We, um, we were talking about this very recently. Because how, we've been watching Glow. Because of Glow. We were talking about how wrestling has this sort of uh, archival quality of like representing the stereotypes of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this really interesting way. Yeah. You know, like I don't know if you'd create the Iron Sheik now. Or, you wouldn't. You know, you wouldn't. I don't think you would. Mm-hmm. Um, no. It, it represents, you know, the time. Yeah. Uh, and and there, there are several distinct eras of – professional wrestling uh and i'm going to kind of explain a little bit uh, for each of them and why each of them was the way they were um the next generation after the golden age would be the new generation that is primarily where our story is going to take place Mm -hmm. and into the next generation after that which was the attitude era which is kind of what everybody knows and loves and remembers fondly at least people my age yeah um the new generation uh was about 1993 to 1997 um so at this time, around 92, WWF was hit with the uh, steroid distribution trial. They had a uh, doctor, I wrote in quotes here, doctor, uh, <laughs> caught giving steroids to the wrestlers who was employed by Vince McMahon. Yeah. Um, uh, Vince McMahon was basically on trial uh, for distribution. Uh, really? Basically, this almost sinks him. He was He was acquitted on some kind of like stipulation thing. It's kind of... I don't want to speculate on anything, but he he got off. We'll okay. just say that he got he got out of it, uh, but it cost the company a lot of money at this time, and it basically almost sinks the World Wrestling Federation. No kidding. Um, it's also important to note that at this time, uh, his competitor, World Championship Wrestling, is getting bigger, yeah. and we're coming into a, a, an era known as the Monday Night War. Mm-hmm. Um, the Monday Night yeah. War is a period of time. I'm sorry, I have a lot of notes to get through here. <laughs> no, that's good, dude. I'm going to try and expedite this, this as the, much as possible. I want all this information. Um, this is a really great time to talk about Vince's competition uh, and to get a little bit of wrestling history in there as well. Um, uh, in the old days, back in the 70s and 80s, wrestling was split into territories. Uh, and right. most of these, at least in America, parts of Japan and um, 
certain parts of Mexico and Canada, they were they were run by a main governing body called the NWA or the National Wrestling Alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically the, the rules of the NWA were uh, each promoter can run their own territory how they see fit. Yeah. There was one championship, the NWA World Championship, that was passed from promotion to promotion. Yeah. The guy who got the big push, uh, who had the championship belt, would tour promotion to promotion and defend it until somebody else got a chance to win it. It, it was kind of run that way. Would it be fair to assume that this is also like largely before it was all televised the way that it yeah, it, so it was – this is local television era. So oh, okay. uh, people knew wrestlers that were national draws. People had heard of Andre the Giant. People mm-hmm. had heard of Hulk Hogan. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when those guys uh, – not even Hogan necessarily, but like Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, those are the big NWA guys. People knew who Dusty Rhodes was. People knew who Ric Flair was. And they would come you know, to see Woo! Ric Flair. Woo! <laughs> People, <laughs> you want to be the man? You got to beat the man. Got to beat the man. Limousine riding, jet flying. All right, um, <laughs> but yeah, they would. They, the people understood who these guys were, and yeah. they would come to see them at their local arena, you know, to or watch them on TV compete in their against their guys, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's actually really interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way because. Mm-hmm. Our experience of wrestling is like all the guys are in the tent Very together right. already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not we so- always watched WWF. Yeah, <laughs> we were WWF people. Yeah. yeah, we were in the midst of this Monday Night War, yeah. and we chose WWF. Yeah, I was a WCW guy until until something later. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Uh, uh, so like get, getting into it, uh, NWA. Uh, the rules were set by the governing body. Uh, no other promoter could promote or book in another territory without special permission. Uh, and anybody who disagreed or disregarded the territory system was, and I put this in quotes here, dealt with. Yeah. Um, I also wrote that means pretty much exactly what you think it means. This yeah. is a very rough business. Yeah. Uh, and it, it uh, will kind of spit people out and, and leave them, you know, hanging. Um, so these guys kind of enforce this with an iron fist. Yeah. Um, this sounds sort of like a monopoly because it is. And I wrote here, but hear me out. Um this was a good thing. Uh, this, this got nationally lo- known stars circulating around and, and booked in local territories, got yeah. a lot of drawing power, made a lot of money for a lot of people. Right. Uh, including the wrestlers uh, mm-hmm. at, at the time who were being you know booked by their, their head uh, promoters. Yeah, it's going to make more money for the local wrestlers, too, because exactly. you have a national draw. Right. right. You have a big draw. People want to show up for that. To watch anyone fight them, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, it established a lot of, of rules for the territories that things that's that every territory kind of followed the rules of wrestling essentially, mm-hmm. and also uh, to, you know commanded a lot of respect for from a lot of these guys. You know they got uh, national national attention, uh, yeah. which is pretty cool, and it was good for business for everybody. Um, some members of the uh, NWA included uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Continental Wrestling Association, World Class Championship Wrestling, where WCW eventually lifted their name from. Oh. Uh, I starred one here called Jim Crockett Promotions, and this is important because this is what is eventually going to become Vince McMahon's competitor. Uh, this is what turns into WCW when Ted Turner buys them. Uh, Jim Crockett Promotions was founded by, guess who, Jim Crockett in 1931. <laughs> uh, it was sold to Turner Broadcasting in November 1988. Uh, this was done as a spite move against Vince McMahon. That uh, makes sense to me. Uh, Vince had uh, bought Ch- Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, and when he broadcast Georgia Championship Wrestling f- to the normal Georgia audience, instead of their guys, he they got WWF guys. Oh, so this really? pissed off everybody locally because they were now seeing 
people that they people didn't, they didn't know. care about. People Wait, they, they didn't were, give they a shit about. They weren't even represented. They weren't even represented. See, that seems like a bad business. Move this is to dirty, me. right? Well, this is what I'm talking about. This is kind of an interesting business in this sense. Okay. Um. So obviously they got a lot of calls about this, uh, and rather than cave and and sell the time slot to Ted Turner, yeah, which is what he, <clears throat> Ted Turner wanted. He wanted to get in in on sure. this. Uh, Vince did not want to do that because he viewed Turner as too much of a threat. So he sold the time slot to Jim Crockett Promotions, mm-hmm. um, uh, who eventually uh, will, for a number of reasons that I could get into and spend hours on, uh, ends up losing a lot of money and to save himself and the family, uh, sells Jim Crockett Promotions to Ted Turner in 1988. Yeah, who presumably at this point was clamoring for it. Correct. Uh, he rebrands the, the lo- uh, company as WCW. Uh, I wrote here, I could talk at length about the downfall of the territories, but I'm going to make a small recommendation here. If you want to read a great book that explains this a lot better than I can, uh, there's a book by a guy named Ole Anderson. It's called Inside Out. Uh, more astute wrestling fans would recognize him as one of the four horsemen, along with uh, Arn Anderson, uh, Tully Blanchard, and woo, <laughs> Ric Flair. Um, Ole was a booker for uh, Jim Crockett, and uh, he kind of wrote this book on on how Vince busted up the territories and, um, you know, did away with it and made wrestling as the corporate thing that it is. Okay. Are you saying he wrote the book on it? He wrote the book on it. <laughs> it's uh, an actual book that he literally wrote. Uh, I wrote here, I digress. Uh, (laughs) having digressed i say i I digress digress. (laughs) wcw is now owned by ted turner he makes a fellow by the name of eric bischoff his president i remember the Um, name eric yes uh, it's an important name to remember Uh, eric bischoff is the wcw's vince mcmahon uh he's that he's the guy he's on tv you know doing all the promos and everything he's he's part of the story i only you know this is this is how little wrestling knowledge i have i played a lot of wcw versus nwo revenge revenge yeah and that's why i know that name. eric bischoff yeah (laughs) um so during the monday night wars these two uh Promotions kind of battled for rating supremacy uh, at the primetime Monday night slot. This is anywhere between 8 and 11. I think Nitro used to start at 8, and then Raw would start at 9, and they would kind of fight ratings-wise. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, hates it. I know. Oh, (laughs) fuck you, Eric Bischoff. I'm a WWF guy. I'm a WWF guy. WWF had, of course, Monday Night Raw, which is still on today. Uh, WCW had Monday Nitro. Uh, this becomes a very, very, very dirty business, uh, oh. as you can imagine. Things get it's rough. A dirty between... business. <laughs> so dirty. A Things get rough. Dirty um, there's yeah. a, at one point uh, guys stealing wrestlers from other you know promotions, promising mm-hmm. more money, and then doing things like that are not cool, like. Um, the woman's champion for the WWF uh, defected and went to WCW and live on air while she was still the woman's champion for WWF threw the belt in the garbage. Oh my on god! On WCW, no Who was kidding. That? Uh, I think it was Sable at oh. the time. Uh, I don't. I don't know the exact name, but yeah, she went on TV, dropped the. Uh, it might have been Sunny. I can't remember, but she dropped the belt in the garbage. The uh, WCW did things like make fun of Jim Ross as. Um, uh, palsy, oh, Bell's yeah. palsy. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's a low really, blow. That's really shitty. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, you don't make fun of Jr. You know, and WWF did their stupid shtick against. You know what I mean? It, it's yeah. it's not a good business. It's back and forth. Like you really can't right. Like, Low blows all right. around. Yeah, and that's what it became too. Um, so post steroid trial, Vince McMahon is hurting. And he's hurting even more when Hulk Hogan's contract runs out. I remember where this, I remember this part. Yeah, 1993, Hogan's contract expires, and rather than uh, re-sign, wrestlers incidentally are private contractors. They're not really, they're not employed in the traditional sense by the promotions. They are contracted on their own individual basis for a set amount of time and they can yeah. renegotiate at the end of their contract term. Which is kind of a great business. Yeah. It, well, yeah. You own your image on it's some level. Kind, exactly. Kind of the way they do it for athletes. Like you're, you yeah. go to a team for a certain amount of time, you make that agreement, you sign your contract for your salary, mm-hmm. you could get traded later if you want to, but right. it's mm-hmm. like... You essentially bring your talents to who can bid on right, you when right, your contract is up. Right. In, in a way, this is win-win for both guys because you can you have your fr- you're free to leave kind of at you know at your will when you want to. Um, you're also you need to pay for your own room and board. You need to pay for your own travel. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. It's a double-edged sword. I see that. Um, so Hulk Hogan's contract runs out. Uh, he goes to New Japan re- Pro Wrestling for a stint, and then he joins. The dark side. He goes to WCW. Yeah. Um, And again, we could talk at length about what happened with WCW. um, But the important thing for our story is that Vince is without a big draw. So this era, the new quote unquote new generation of wrestling is a rough one. Vince is kind of floundering. floundering. He's losing the ratings war. Um, he has a fresh pool of talent that he's trying to call up and make big name stars. A couple guys to name a few that came out of this era and really became big draws. The Undertaker. uh, So cool. Big Daddy Cool Diesel. uh, Kevin Nash, you might remember him from eventually jumping ship to WCW. (laughs) Uh, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, you might remember him for also jumping ship over to WCW, forming the NWO. Uh, And then the two uh, main cast members of our story, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a really good time to talk about both of them uh, and where they come from and why this stage is kind of set the way it is. You have two very different personalities with these guys. Okay. Uh, Bret the Hitman Hart was born uh, Bret Sergeant Hart. Uh, one of 12 children. I wrote here that Brett Sergeant Hart is a great wrestling name in itself. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. He didn't even need to switch out the hitman. Brett Sar- Sergeant Hart is really good. Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, born in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, uh, to uh, Helen Louise. What did I write here? Oh, God. Helen Louise Miller Hart uh, and wrestling legend Stu Hart. Uh, Stu Hart is a former professional wrestler himself and a founder of the Canadian promotion Stampede Wrestling. I did not know that he had his own promotion, actually, when I did hmm. this research. Really? What I did know... Stampede Wrestling. Yes. What I did know is that he ran his own school, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, Stampede mm-hmm. Wrestling, incidentally, was a an NWA territory. It was sold to the WWF in 1984, and it was like a developmental kind of territory for them. Okay. Um, Stampede Wrestling had a uh, company school slash gym that was located in the basement of the Hart family mansion. Oh, um, I, when I did the research for this, they just called it the Hart Dungeon. But every time I heard it brought up on TV, they always called it Stu Hart's Dungeon. So that's what I'm going to refer to it here. Okay. Uh, it, it was known affectionately as Stu Hart's Dungeon. I wrote here, okay, maybe not so affectionately. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah it, it, you know, just that description tells me quite a bit. It sounds like Stu is a very driven dude and expected yes. a lot out of people. Yes. Uh, I, I wrote here, very. I circled the word very. I put an exclamation point after it and I underlined it three times. It is a very... <laughs> 
very prestigious wrestling school. Wow. Um, one of the oh, things. Wow. Oh wow. One of the things I also didn't know about this is that uh, Stu Hart never took money uh, from any of his trainees. He did it for the love of the craft, uh, hmm. which wow. is really cool when you think about it. I didn't um, know. Th- I didn't know any of this. Yes, yeah, I didn't know any of this either. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I knew he had the school, and I had heard, I had heard talked about it. It was such an important school that promotions would talk about this guy came from Stu Hart's dungeon. And then people would just kind of Oh, people yeah. you, people understood that that this is like a big deal. This guy, you know what I mean, was grilled. Yeah. Um you don't get a name like Stu Hart's dungeon f- if for being soft. Um <laughs> if one graduated from Stu Hart's dungeon, it was uh considered an incredibly impressive feat. Because most trainees, uh, I wrote here, excuse my French, washed the fuck out. Uh, <laughs> Stu's training was uh, described as borderline sadistic. Oh, my God. Um, subjecting his trainees to what <laughs> a lot of people described as torture. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it. So sounds like it. You've already had your feet in the fire if you've made it through this right. school. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's the idea because it, you know, it, it builds these guys up to what to expect in the business. Um, he does things like uh, keeping his trainees in submission holds, like real submission holds, you know, and keeping them there to oh train God. them to deal with the pain, uh, running them up against the ropes until their backs are raw. You know what I mean? Toughening them up, basically. Um, as you can it's imagine. Kind of a brutal dude. Yeah. Yeah. He was right. He was tough. He was yeah. tough, tough motherfucker. Uh, I wrote, as you can imagine, this made some hard motherfuckers uh, <laughs> and some damn fine wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, I wrote some a list of graduates here. I was going to um, say, let's hear some names. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, I tried to pick names that a lot of people listening would recognize. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, Abdullah the Butcher, Flying Brian Pillman, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, mm. Gorilla Monsoon, Greg Valentine, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Superstar Billy Graham, Owen Hart, and of course, Bret Hart. Wow. Uh, these are just a few. There's a lot of other wrestlers that graduated from Stu Hart's dungeon. No kidding. Can you imagine if you didn't make it through your dad's own wrestling right. school? Though? It would <laughs> right. not be good. Yeah, yeah right. it would not be good. I th- most of the Hart family did, I think, just to kind of impress their dad. Yeah. I get the feeling he did not take it easy on anybody. No, no I would imagine doesn't sound not. like he was a person who would. Uh, Bret Hart, as you could imagine, growing up with his father uh, and then training in the dungeon, became a master of the craft, uh, and his skills showed it in the ring. He backed it up. He honed it the farther that he got along in his career, Um, and Bret Hart is considered one of the best technical wrestlers ever. Uh, Very, very skilled. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. He's incredible. Uh, The best there was, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, as his, you know... Uh, famous moniker, but uh, and he backs that up. Uh, he was incredible, uh, and I could again, I could go on at length about how good he was and why. Yeah. Uh, but it's better just to watch a couple of his matches to see. Um, okay. uh, so after training uh, with his dad, uh, Bret Hart came to the WWF in 1984. Uh, by the 90s, he had pretty much worked his way up to the top of the card. It really didn't take long. That's probably closer to the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, his they call them stables, wrestling stables. That's like the Four Horsemen. It's it's a group of of guys who were on the same team, basically. Okay. Uh, the Hart Foundation. That was him, his brother, Jim Neidhart, uh, mm-hmm. Davey Boy Smith, British Bulldog. A lot of these guys kind of partnered together under the Hart Foundation. Okay. Uh, by the time the new generation rolls around, uh, he's the guy. He's the Hulk Hogan of this era, essentially. Right. Uh, which and brings these, a, and these are all WWF guys. These are all WWF mm-hmm. guys. Okay. Uh, this brings us to Shawn Michaels. I uh, was born. Uh, Sean Michael Sean Hickenbottom. I wrote here probably not as good as 
the heartbreak kid or sergeant. Not sure yeah. that uh, Hickenbottom strikes fear. No. Into the hearts of your opponents. <laughs> uh, he was born in Chandler, Arizona. He was the last of four kids. Uh, he was trained by, I wrote here, NWA Jobber, because that's kind of what he was. Uh, uh, Jake Lothario, uh, who ha- once had a losing streak of 500 matches in the NW in the NWA. Shit. He was, he was made, just a, just a, you know, it, there to put people over. He's just over, there basically. to make other people yeah, better. Exactly. He's putting people over. It's That's kind of got to suck to sure. to deliberately it, lose 500 matches. What it matches. means, though, is that he's probably a very good technical wrestler and he knows what he's doing. Correct. Yeah, sure. Uh, he's also, he also understands the business. He understands that there's a reason why jobbers are in place. They're there to, you know what I mean? Yeah. For the benefit of the show. Exactly overall. right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, to come to terms with the fact that you're not going to be the shining star and you're going to be behind the scenes, but you're going to be the reason someone else makes it big, so to speak. You've got a role. Sucks, but also, like, you make your money the way you make your money, right? Right, yeah. right. exactly, yeah. Um, so, Shawn Michaels, dislike his given name, uh, you know, you know, I get it. Um, <laughs> uh, he adopted the ring name, Shawn Michaels. Uh, he worked in, with the NWA, in the NWA circuit. He bounced around between a couple different promotions, uh, and he eventually joined the WWF here, and I wrote an addendum for myself. He joined first in 1987 uh, with his tag team partner, Marty Jannetty, for two weeks before he was kicked out by Vince McMahon himself for the reason of, quote, the boys don't want you here. Um, this well, is gonna, what the hell is that about? This is going to be a very common theme uh, with Shawn Michaels in his early career. Uh, he was a bastard. <laughs> he was... Didn't show re- this is a business as you can imagine that's kind of centered around respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Sean uh didn't really give respect to a lot of the older guys that were back there. Uh he was also a partier, drinker, uh painkillers. You, you kind of get what I'm, you know. Yeah. Um him and Janetti both were kind of like wild child, you know. Yeah. Uh and they rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. This, this rings is, a bell they, to me. They wanted to come in and they wanted to be given fights and they wanted the attention exactly. and they wanted to shoot the to the top, but they didn't want to respect the people who did it before them exactly. and they didn't want to do it the right way. And that's a big deal in this business. That's a very, very big deal in this business. It seems this, this entire business is, is highly political. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's very, it's very, very interesting business the way this is run. Um, he did eventually come back in 1988 uh, because – the tag team that he had with Jenny, they were called the Rockers. They had a pretty decent draw power, and Vince McMahon is a businessman first. Um, brought them back in. Uh, he teamed with Marty Jannetty, the Rockers, blah, blah, blah. Where am I at here? Uh, they enjoyed success in the mid-card until uh, Michaels got his big push in 1991. Uh, it was a double cross against Marty Jannetty. Uh, I'm not going to go into details on this, but he basically super kicked Marty Jannetty on live TV. This was a work. <laughs> It was designed to give Michaels a push. Uh, Janetti, incidentally, was in very rough shape at this time. Uh, and they had a lot so, of... Like, personally? Yeah. They, yeah. Same problems. Alcohol, drugs. Yeah. Um, and uh, he ha- harbored a lot of ill will about this because Michaels is kind of the one who pushed to separate from him. Oh. Um, again, this is a common theme here. Uh, they did not like each other. They were a tag team and they worked very well in the ring together. But personally, they they rubbed each other the wrong way. They were both kind of that really strong type A personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had just gotten fed up with each you, other. Basically. You also have to keep in mind, like, we were talking about, like, people having dependence issues and stuff. Yeah. And you have to consider the fact that 
even though wrestling is oftentimes scripted, it's yeah. it's real. You're throwing people around, and you need yeah. to be able to trust the person yes. you're doing that with and trust the person who's doing it to you. They have to be their best, or there's they can a, hurt you. There's yeah. a good reason that a lot of people would be pissed off by someone who played fast and loose like that. Right. And it's, can you trust them in the ring exactly. if they're fucked up? Yeah, it's a partnership. Exactly. Every fight is in its own way a partnership. Right. Even be, you know, because you're, you're fighting, but you are... You're you're servicing the same goal, yeah, of yeah. entertainment, right? And people mm-hmm. have gotten seriously, seriously hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, we could again. You Pe- know, people have died wrestling. People have there's, died wrestling. There's ways to mess up bad enough, and sometimes it's right. on on the part of the person who did the messing up, and they're the one who takes the injury. And sometimes it's not the case. Exactly. Yeah, and sometimes it's a freak accident. You know, so yeah. you, you got to be able to trust the person you're with, right? Um. So after his big push, Michaels makes his way up towards the top of the card. He's in the main event spotlight. It's basically him and Bret Hart. They are mm-hmm. they are they're Hogan and Macho Man. Nice. They're the guys. Um, some great matches happen during this period. To name a couple, if you guys ever want to watch a couple good ones, uh, Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania ten and the first in quotes ladder match. Oh. Um, Shawn Michaels versus Mankind and in, in Your House ninety four. Really, really good. I want to watch I, that. Mankind was one of my oh, favorite. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the technical guy versus the brawler. They went on for like 30 minutes. They tore the house down. Um, <laughs> I wrote here, it goes without saying, Sean is really, really good. Yeah. Um, if 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 Bret Hart is the greatest technical wrestler of all time, Shawn Michaels is at least the second greatest technical wrestler of all time. Oh, he's okay. so he very actually, good. He actually does have the talent to back He's that got up. the chops. He's got the chops. He's not I want to make that clear. He's not just some punk who kind of like forced his way into the business. People know his name for a reason. Okay. He's an excellent entertainer. He understands the emotion of the crowd. He knows how to work a crowd and he knows how to work a ring. Okay. Uh, very 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 good wrestler. Um Sean is also really, really, really fucked up most of the time. Um, <laughs> drinking, painkillers. Uh, he did get in trouble for steroids in the 90s. That's something that WWE kind of swept under the rug. Yeah. Um, they don't want you to talk about that at all, so obviously I'm talking about it. <laughs> um, We're going to get shit down, babe. Oh, yeah. WWE. <clears throat> so this is all of this is, is to say that Sean rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Right. And one of those people is Bret Hart. So this is going to be the next section of this. We're going to be talking a little bit about this rivalry. I can imagine if you're a dude raised by Bret Hart's dad, yeah. who yeah. probably is very disciplined and yeah. holds a lot of respect for that. Yeah, that's the word. Is probably pissed off by someone who does drugs, drinks yeah. alcohol, comes to the ring fucked up, and has just as much respect, at least from the fans, yeah. as he does. Oh, yeah. and that would be frustrating. And you really hit the nail on the head here because Bret Hart is the spitting image of his dad when it comes to that. <laughs> he is Mr. Clean Cut. He likes the good guy, bad guy, the stuff yeah. that he grew up with, the stuff that he was trained on. Um, he's not a big fan of the direction that WWF is starting to go. They're starting to lean towards the Attitude Era, the... You know, uh, they went from TV PG to TV 14, basically. Yeah, Do you know what I'm saying? Right, They're pushing yeah. the boundaries a little bit, a little more language, a little as more is, swearing. As is, like, the entire entertainment landscape. Exactly. Like, there's a pressure happening across all of television, I feel like, at this time. To slightly to be a more edgier. Adult. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they've got to play, or else what? Someone else comes along and does that yeah, thing. Yeah, and that someone else would be WCW at yeah. the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, who at, incidentally, this is a great time to talk about this. By the time this rolls around, we're 95, 96. They are outright winning the ratings war. 
Um, this oh, is yeah. this is the time when the NWO started to form up. This that's Hogan Hall and Nash. Mm-hmm. That kind of like took the wrestling world by storm, and everybody switched their channels over to WCW because yeah. it was really great television at the time. Uh, getting edgier, getting a little harder edged. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kind of thing our parents were complaining about yes, in the, exactly. the mid to late 90s. Right? Um, and we're going to get into this a little bit here. But uh, the rivalry kind of starts uh, as when Michaels becomes the uh, the I wrote here, the infamous leader of the backstage group in the WWF known as the click. Have you ever seen somebody do this thing? Two. Sweet. That's, okay. that's from the click. Um, little, I don't know how to describe that. It looks like, like um, the little two, devil face thing. Two yeah. foxes kissing, kissing and, then, and then they separate <laughs> and you say, too sweet. Right. Um, so that's the click. That is uh, uh, Shawn Michaels. Uh, Triple H is a name I'm sure everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Diesel. Uh, at one point, the one, two, three kid who in the Attitude Era was known as X-Pac. Um, oh, yeah, X-Pac. yeah. Uh, so those <laughs> those guys were a real tight knit group of guys, uh, friends, and Sean would be like their leader. Um, so I wrote here like a group of higher card talent who pulled a lot of drawing power with the company, mm-hmm. could kind of sway Vince and some of the writers however they wanted. Gotcha. Um, this also pissed a lot of people off for reasons that you could imagine. I'll give you a good example. Uh, Michaels was the victim of a real life assault outside a bar in Syracuse, uh, and he got beat up and couldn't compete. Uh, at this time, he was a champion. He was the Intercontinental Champion. Uh, incidentally, uh, this is a good aside for this story to kind of give you an insight into Michaels' character at this time. Uh, he was beat up by a Marine for reasons that nobody seems to want to reveal. But this guy, you know, Michaels got drunk enough that he said something to piss this he, guy off. He mouthed off to a Marine and he got, and he his, got his ass yeah, kicked. Yeah, right. he got his ass kicked. And um, I can only imagine what kind of shit he had to say to the guy. Yeah. So and and this would be something that I think was considered a shoot. Um, I couldn't find a, a, an example as what, whether or not this event was a work or a shoot. Uh Shawn Michaels was slated to uh, wrestle to Dean Douglas, a guy named Dean Douglas, at a pay-per-view event and lose. Yeah. Um, but he got beat up, so he, you know, could not – he couldn't compete. Uh, so he abandoned the title live on the pay-per-view, gave it to Dean Douglas and said, here, you win this now. And then immediately after that, his buddy, Razor Ramon, basically won it. Dean Douglas had to – was forced live on TV to job it out to his friend. Um, and that no was a – so I couldn't find an example as to whether or not that was a work or a shoot if, if Dean Douglas knew that was going to happen or not. But even if it – Kind of feels like a shoot. Yeah. It, wh- whatever way it is, yeah. he probably didn't want – if he did have to job yeah. it, he didn't want to. Even yeah. if it was a work, it's a really shitty thing to do to someone you know, on a big event like that. Yeah, it kind of feels disgraceful, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, it, this pissed a lot of people off. Maybe none so much as Bret Hart. Uh, Sean at this point was basically up at the top of the card uh, and Brett sort of fell by the wayside a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, even though he was still way over with the fans. People loved Bret Hart. Yeah. Um, and he was still carrying the championship belt at the time. Uh, the guys in charge kind of like, mm, like, OK, make way for Sean now. Yeah, he was losing I mean? favor. He was losing favor with the people that mattered, the people who were writing his storylines. Sure. And that's, um, you know, it's like, it's, it, again, like all things here, it feels like a business decision is like the, what the eyes are on, what the popularity is, what people want. Yeah. yeah you kind of got to give You're it to them. You're old school. We have this fresh kid coming up. 
He's yeah. just as good. He right. might, he's People want to see him. Yeah. As yeah. they see it right now, that's the future. Time to put him over. Right, basically. And and essentially, that's kind of what is going to happen here. Uh, by Brett's account, the main tension with Sean started uh, a few months before their classic Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. Mm-hmm. This is uh, an Iron Man match for people who don't know. 60 minutes of fighting, whoever has the most pinfalls or submissions in that 60 minutes uh, wins, basically. Okay. Okay. Kind um, of an endurance thing. Right, right. Uh, Brett's the champion at the time. Um, so they're they're promoting this match up to WrestleMania 12. During the uh, like some backstage stuff, Sean comes up, and he's like genuinely excited. He comes up to Brett, and he says, I'm really excited to do to work with you, you know, uh, I'm excited to, you know, promote this, get the lead up. This is, you know, a couple months beforehand. He's like, yeah, I, I, I still think, uh, I got some matches left with me and diesel and me and razor. We're going to do some work together and me and Hunter, we're going to do some work together. And Brett's listening to this thinking like, those are just all your friends. Like you're just kind of like pulling them up, you know, and a big part of the business is helping younger guys pull them up. You know what yeah. I mean? Trying to bring them up, make everybody this be- the best they can be. Yeah. And Tom's just kind of palling around with his buddies. And yeah. they're having their own matches, and they're kind of all relishing in the glory. The click. The click, yes. <laughs> now exactly. I see why. Um, uh, Brett described this later as something that was a huge red flag for him. He should have known at this point that this guy is kind of doing his own thing. Didn't mm-hmm. have other people's best interests yes. at heart. Uh, so we get to the... At Brett Hart. So we get to WrestleMania 12. This is in... Sweet! Uh, this is March of 1996, WrestleMania 12, late March. They do the 60-minute Iron Man match. Uh, Sean goes over. He wins, actually, the whole, and, and he wins in pretty spectacular fashion. It, it's a classic. Uh, nobody scores a pinfall or a submission in the first 60 minutes, so they have to go into overtime. Uh, they they legitimately wrestled for over an hour. That's oh my ridiculous. God. And they made it entertaining the whole time. It's really good. Uh, Sean goes over. Um Wins the belt, does this big celebration in the ring. Brett, being the guy who does the job right, yeah. lets him have his moment in the ring, goes up backstage. Congratulations, everybody. But you know what I mean? Um, you got to eat a lot of shit to you be do. a pro, yeah, don't right. you? Uh, the company gives Brett the promise that uh, he's going to be going over at some point later on down the line. But right now, they're pushing Sean. Yeah. So this is where it's going. Uh, we get to an incident called the Curtain Call Incident. Shortly after this event... Uh, members of the clique uh, joined together in an embrace in the middle of the ring in Madison Square Garden during a house show, and this is captured on f- uh, a photograph. Yeah. Um, this is not a big deal now, but this is a big deal for a couple reasons. Um, number one, uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are going to WCW. This is their last match in WWF. They're jumping ship. Um, they're also supposed to be the bad guys in WWF. Sean and Hunter are good guys. So, so when they, they broke, you they're breaking character, they broke kayfabe. They broke kayfabe. This is a thank you. There you go. <laughs> I paid attention. They, they broke kayfabe. This is a and at the time this matters. This is not a, as big a deal now because kayfabe is pretty much dead in modern wrestling. Um, but this was a huge deal. Um, you know, a they're hugging the enemy at this point. You know, from Vince's perspective, um, and. Just, Something I've learned about this recently because I've been obsessed with Glow, and I watched a documentary after I watched the show on Netflix, which you should definitely watch because you'll love it. Yeah, I don't know what Glow is. It's, oh, talk about it for a second. It's the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Mm. It was a show in the 80s, and it was women 
basically most of them were actresses who then learned to wrestle. Yeah. A lot of them never really became technically good. A lot of it was more about the story. But um, the writer at the time, the writer of this, he insisted, everyone involved insisted, they basically be in character all the time. And there were yeah. the bad girls and the good girls, and you didn't hang out with each other. Yeah. You weren't allowed to. Right. You roomed with... Other good girls, if you're a good girl. Other bad girls, if you're a bad girl. They lived in a hotel. Strict um, maintenance of kayfabe. And, yeah, they were always in character. If they went to a party to promote the show, they were in character. If they went to the grocery store, they were in character. Like, you were always in character. And that, I understand from that. I mean, that's the era, basically, WWF at the time was coming out of, of that very strict professionalism of, like, this is a show. This is entertainment. We're not breaking fourth wall. Right. Exactly. We're, these are the bad guys and they're not your friends. Right. I don't care if they're your friends behind closed doors. They're not your friends to the audience. Yeah. This was maintained, I mean, pretty much up into the Attitude Era. This is something that, like, yeah. you just didn't do. Well, it seems like part of what we associate with the, okay, so the wrestling of the 80s. Yeah. This this sort of, uh, the the canon of the of the storylines is also part of the cheese. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's kind of the cheese that we love about that era of wrestling. But I, I do feel like it goes away, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it did. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, it, it's not something that could have been sustained. Uh, one of the big reasons that kayfabe died is because Vince McMahon had to admit during the steroid trial that it was all staged. Yeah. That's kind of... That was a real genuine, was, like... That was a of contention for people. That dude. was a big deal. Yeah. I wasn't even into wrestling. And I remember people having very serious arguments yeah. about whether this was real or not. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, it was a big deal. Um, yeah. And that is one of the big things that contributed to the death of the illusion, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, again, I digress here. Um, <laughs> uh, you were saying this was important for two reasons. The one of which was that these are good guys and bad guys. Yeah. The, uh, the other of which is that uh, Hall and Nash are leaving. They're going to WCW. They're going to the, the enemy. Basically. Yeah, which that that strikes me as really bad for I mean like it would, for company loyalty. It would piss yeah. Vince McMahon off yes, at the exactly. very least yes. because they're betraying him essentially. Yeah, and right. you who are now the face of WWF at this point yeah. are in a ring hugging someone you who's stick around. Yeah, you want to be here supposedly, but you're showing support to a bad guy you shouldn't show support to. <laughs> yeah, and someone who's leaving and betraying us. Right. Yeah. Loyalty. Um, so this does not go over well with Vince or anybody in management in the back, as you could imagine. Yeah. Um, really, here's the problem, though. Uh, Vince doesn't have a lot of people to punish. Uh, Hall and Nash are leaving. Uh, HBK is the champion. Um, so as punishment, he does make him lose the belt to a guy by the name of Psycho Sid, who's pretty good, but not a main event talent. So Sean ends up winning the belt right back. I know. Oh, <laughs> boost caboose. Oh, no. Um, the one actually, the guy who bears the biggest brunt of this is a little aside to this story is Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who was about to get a really big push from the company. He was about to win uh, King of the Ring that year, 1996. Oh, really? Uh, again, more astute wrestling fans might know that uh, the winner of King of the Ring 1996 was none other than Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> who got his push in place of Triple H. Yeah. Uh, 
that King of the Ring is where he made his famous Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass speech <laughs> that started the big stone cold mania. Yeah. Um, so wrestling would probably look really different if this thing didn't happen here. Just, yeah. just as a little aside. Uh, but again, Sean has to drop the belt. He, he jobs it out to Psycho Sid, who, you know, basically drops the belt right back to Sean because Sean's the draw. And yeah. Vince, you know, he, it was like a little punishment towards him. But now, OK, well, I still need you as the main event guy here. Sure. Uh, so he holds the belt for most of the year except for that little bit. Um, and he's slated to be in the main event at the next WrestleMania, WrestleMania 13. Uh, and he's going to put Bret Hart over. That is what they advertised for this match up until basically the month beforehand. Uh, what ends up happening oh boy. is that on live TV, Shawn Michaels on Monday Night Raw comes out and says that he cannot compete in WrestleMania 13 because he has to undergo knee surgery. And he drops the belt and hands it to Vince McMahon and walks out and disappears from TV for a little bit. How much of that is? So here's what we're going to talk about here. Okay. Yeah, um, let's. During this time, uh, Brett and Sean kind of, you know, they're button heads in the back. They don't mm -hmm. particularly like each other. Uh, one of the biggest things I think that pissed Brett off and would piss, I think, most of these guys off is that he was heard saying backstage, I'll never put Brett over. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and it's like that's not your right. Decision. So exactly right, exactly. But he's but he's saying you I'm, don't I, you don't get to make the calls. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. If you're a big enough draw, and Hulk Hogan proves this, you kind of do get to make the calls sometimes. <laughs> well, um, you can you can certainly make an argument, and people might really listen to you. Yeah. Right. Um, and you do get to make the calls in the mind of Bret Hart. Yes. You shouldn't get. To you make shouldn't the calls. get them exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and, and I, I would say that he, I think he's right. Uh, you, sh you really shouldn't get to make the calls, yeah. but he's been heard saying this. Uh, and then mysteriously he drops this thing live on TV. Nobody else knew that he was going to do this except presumably him and Vince. Um, and Brett doesn't have a partner, a match for WrestleMania 13. Now he's not going to be winning the title. They have to change the storyline around. Um, so Brett is basically now going out on live TV and saying, you know, uh, he doesn't really have a knee injury. He's faking it. And it, this is like supposed to be in storyline, but this is actually him saying this to Sean. Like, <laughs> you didn't have a, you know, you really didn't have a real knee injury. You just don't want to, you're not showing me any respect. Is Wait, basically so you're saying it's it both storyline and how he actually yes. feels? This is, yeah. uh, I guess what you would call this is a work shoot, which is an actual wrestling terminology there. It's in storyline, but they're letting him kind of do whatever he say, whatever he wants. Okay. This is good. Again, you know, pretty good for business. This is one of those, you know. Sure. Um, Chins up controversy, and that's um, always good for business. Incidentally, uh, Brett's claiming the knee surgery is fake. Uh, it is not. We have a proof that Sean did go for knee surgery, but there's an addendum here. Um, wrestling is a sport where if you're hurt, you kind of do the job until mm. you can get some time off and get it fixed. Yeah. Um, Sean Michaels. No, and no whether or not. It should be that right. way right. is a different, different question, story. but you that's kind of how it was always done. But let me it, let me say this. Shawn Michaels, uh, towards the end, he, he had retired, quote unquote, retired at one point and then came back years later. Uh, during the time right before he retired, he his back was fucked up. Like he, had, he was basically wrestling with with broken back oh my God. Uh, every night. And he just didn't do the surgery that he needed to get it fixed. He didn't do anything to repair himself. So he put the he put the work in. 
there with a broken back. He put the work in there. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin. So that, fam- was, that was after. This, this is after. Right. This is just to demonstrate a point here. Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestled with a broken neck. You know what I mean? Like these guys go through this and then they just do the job. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Sean had knee surgery, but he had knee surgery for something really minor. Uh, mm. This is like a little repair job, something that, you know, for a guy who wrestled uh, the last half of the first part of his career with a broken back, he probably could have just, you know, yeah. let slide by the it wayside. Was, it was necessary, but maybe not right then. Yeah, exactly. Something he, he could have at the he, very least. He could have thrown Brett over and exactly, done it after that. Exactly. Um, Had the writers write him out for a couple episodes or whatever. Right. And let him recover. Exactly. Um, which happens all the time. Um they, they could have made it part of the match that Brett fucked his knee up and yeah. then he had to go get yeah. surgery in storyline. You just wrote a storyline that happens right? all the time. Right. All the time. I've watched enough wrestling to get it. <laughs> right. Um, so WrestleMania 13 happens. Uh, Brett is not fighting for the World Heavyweight Championship. Instead, he's fighting maybe my favorite wrestling match ever. He's fighting uh, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin in a, uh, a submission match. Ooh. Really, really good. Is this? We watched this match before. Is yeah. this the one I'm thinking yeah. of? Uh, this is uh, the storyline's completely changed around, and the idea with this match is that we're going to do something that's called a double turn. Stone Cold Steve Austin is the bad guy. We're going to make him the good guy. Bret Hart's the good guy. We're going to make him the bad guy. How do you do that? You get two really, really good wrestlers in the ring and let them tell a story with their bodies without saying anything, uh. and they do it really good. The idea is at the end of the match, Bret Hart's frustrated that he can't get Austin to quit, so he starts resorting to dirty stuff. Um, Good guy Stone Cold Steve Austin is in the sharpshooter, which is Bret Hart's finishing move. It's kind of like a you wrap wrap your legs around, you put your leg in between them, and then you lean back on their back. Mm -hmm. Hurts their back really bad. Uh, At the end of the match, Stone Cold's in the sharpshooter. He can't get out, and instead of giving up, he just passes out. So he loses the match, but he's so tough that he can't. Right, like he would he rather knock he out. He doesn't submit. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. you do the double turn. Uh, really great match. Um, we wouldn't have gotten that match, I guess, if Sean wasn't such a punk ass about this whole thing. So <laughs> go through and watch that one, too. Um, so we're getting into spring 1997 at this point. Uh, I wrote here, man, these guys really don't like each other. Um, <laughs> at this point, Sean is back. He, uh, they're both going out on live TV and making like really – Serious personal attacks towards one another. Uh, Sean is like supposedly the good guy. Brett is now turned heel after WrestleMania 13. Uh, he's in the the Hart Foundation, who is a pro Canadian wrestling stable, and you know Americans don't like that. Sure. So that's that. That's their that's their gimmick. They're bad Canadians. Uh, <laughs> it's just really bad, funny. Bad Canadians is is a great title for a movie. A great title for a band. <laughs> I would check out anything called Bad Canadians. Bad Canadians. Um, so by June 97, this has exploded after a real-life shoot fight happens backstage. Uh, Sean makes a comment on live on Monday Night Raw and kind of insinuates that Bret Hart is cheating on his wife. This is live on TV. Like, he makes yeah. his comment. Uh, Bret uh, knocks him the fuck out, basically. Sean comes backstage and Bret knocks him out. Um, so Sean... Kind like of actually knocks like, him out. Like actually punches him in the mouth, like wow. knocks him out. Uh, Sean leaves for a little bit and kind of like recomposes himself. Um, uh, but by the time he comes back, uh, Brett wins the title in August at uh, SummerSlam. Uh, and uh, 
DX, Degeneration X, is a big popular stable. We're starting to move towards the Attitude Era, the really edgy kind of stuff at this point. Yeah. Sean forms Degeneration X with Triple H and uh, the One Two Three Kid, X Pac, mm-hmm. China. You know, a lot of names that everybody's going to know at this point. Yeah. Um, Heart Foundation are bad guys in America. Incidentally, in Canada, doing pretty good. Um, <laughs> Pro Canadian Canadian stable. Incidentally, this is an angle that Brett did not want to do. He didn't want to be bad Canadians in America. Okay. He didn't want to get booed for being Canadian. He didn't right. want to be a heel. He, he was never be, the right. heel. It, and like, and he did the job. I think Brett would have made a good heel, but like, give him something better than yeah, that. something better than like than a that weird you're Canadian, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, that's, how stupid. That's not enough. Yeah, I don't think it's enough of a, a story there. Right. Uh, so this brings us to the screw job. We're finally going to get to the meat of this story here. I apologize. Thank no, you guys for. Can I say again? I love the way you're telling right. this. Yeah. This is exactly. I, no, I'm I'm wrapped. This I is enjoy exactly it. what we want on Goose Chase. I'm trying not to go like no. super crazy. It doesn't even though. matter. It doesn't even matter Beautiful. if it's like a, a long episode or whatever. It's gonna. It's interesting to me. It's interesting to Dave, and it's gonna be fun for whoever wants to yeah. listen to it. If you're out there listening and you're still listening, hope you're having a good yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. So sure. <laughs> they are. Um. So yeah, uh, we're getting into the screw job now. This is. This is the event. Yeah. Um, like I said before, it's funny that for all the setup that this involves and everything that happens afterward, the event itself is kind of can be concised into one sentence. Yeah. Um, the top guy in the company gets fucked over without knowing about it. Yeah. Um, so Brett's contract at this point had basically run out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in Hogan's situation here where now, you know, he doesn't know if he wants to resign. Uh, he basically goes to Vince. He's this is this is a cool thing about Bret Hart um, and guys like him. The Undertaker would kind of fall under this category too. He looks at Vince as kind of like a father figure, and he's not going to do anything without letting him know first. This is like a stand-up kind of thing to do. Yeah. He goes to Vince and it's a respect thing. It's a respect thing exactly. He goes to Vince and he kind of seeks his permission to see what kind of offer he can get from other promotions and Vince gives him the permission to do that, mm-hmm. um, which maybe wasn't the best move right. from a business standpoint, but you know, again, a respect thing. Uh, he lets Brett do that. Yeah. Um, Brett is at this time, he, he was signed to a contract where he was making about a million and a half a year in WWF. Eric, not too shabby. Not too shabby. Uh, what's even more unshabby is that Eric Bischoff offers him two and a half million to work at WCW, Ooh. which is something that at this time Vince McMahon cannot afford to match. He cannot afford it. Uh, Turner is fun- simultaneously funneling money yeah. towards Eric Bischoff for contracts and then taking away other little things, yeah. which, again, we could talk about the demise of WCW at length, <clears throat> but there's a lot of stuff that goes along with like, that. But like Ted Turner is also like, like genuinely, yeah, right. he's genuinely like a crazy millionaire who right. just wants to win, right? Exactly, right. So, I mean, he'll take it out of his pocket. Yeah, if it means yeah, if he his can enemy. steal yet another star right. yeah. and like a star, like the guy right from yeah. WWF right now, he'll do it. They don't even have to be making more money or doing better for the money to just be there right. to ruin the WWF. Right, and that was the plan. That was basically the plan here. That's why this is so important. Yeah, um, Bischoff offers Brett two and a half million to sign, um, and of course, he goes to Vince with the with the offer, and he says, "If you can match this." I will stay here. And Vince can't, cannot do it. Um, so Brett signs the contract with Eric Bischoff. Um, 
They set up some terms. This is kind of like the first time that we're starting to see terms between Eric Bischoff and McMahon. Because these two, yeah. like, didn't super like each other. You know what I mean? Or at least on yeah. TV. Um, but they set some terms. Vince set a couple rules. Um, you know, you can't – Bischoff could not promote that Bret Hart was coming, basically. Okay. Um, he couldn't say on live TV that Brett was coming, you know, they, because Brett's the fucking champion. Yeah. Brett can't, you know, you can't tell them that he's like, oh, he already signed. He doesn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So th- that was a stipulation and Bischoff it's agreed to it. They're going to find out when they find out. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and to Eric Bischoff's credit, he agreed to that um, and and followed it. Uh, it had it, it basically gotten out. It, it, there was a point where it got out that. You know, he was coming, but that wasn't, I don't believe it that wasn't was, them. It wasn't Bischoff's yeah. fault. Yeah. Um, but uh, Vince is kind of put in a bind here uh, because there's a match that's booked at uh, uh, Survivor Series that's Brett versus Sean. Uh-huh. Uh, and the idea behind this match is that this is in November, uh, that Brett's going to drop the, the, the plan is that Brett's going to drop the title to Sean. Mm-hmm. And then he's off TV and then. There's like a little bit of a break there, and then he's going to show up on WCW in December. Gotcha. That's the plan. Um, okay. This doesn't really go over well with Brett. Uh, Brett basically refuses to drop the title to Sean, uh, saying that unless Sean can prove to me first that he's willing to put me over, I'm not giving him the belt. So basically what Brett wants to do is win the title. Uh, we're like retain the title on the pay-per-view and then the next night on Monday Night Raw, they have a live show right after that. Yeah. The next night uh, he would drop, he would either forfeit the belt uh, or he would, uh, you give it to somebody else. But basically he's like, I'm not giving it to Sean. Uh, Sean needs to prove to me that he's willing to. Yeah. Sean didn't show me the respect exactly. of letting me have it before. Why he, should I give it he to wants him? wants to go out with a big, he wants to go out. A winner, essentially. I don't, I don't even think it's about the win. I think it's, it's the, the fact that he wasn't given, he wasn't thrown over by Sean. Right. Why would he throw him over? And he, he wants, you know, you want to look good. Like yeah. He, he wants to look good, but I think the bigger the bigger picture here is that he wants the respect. Yeah, like, are you going to be a part of this time-honored tradition of, yeah. like, following the rules we agree to together? Are you going to be a pro or are you going to be a punk? Right. Why would I do it for you if you couldn't do it for me? Because, exactly. because also he's going to be the guy that's going, going to inherit everything that he's leaving. Right. Right? Right. I, uh, I get this as a person who has, like, a very distinct... Like <clears throat> idea of justice and black and <laughs> right. white in my head. I'm totally <laughs> right. with Bret Hart here. Yeah, I'm I like, no, nah, that too. that dude was an asshole and he wouldn't do what he was supposed to do. So yeah, like I don't want to do that for you if you couldn't do it for me. <clears throat> right. So you are like telling people on live TV that I cheat on my wife. Right. I'm supposed to let you win. <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to sully myself by you know playing around with someone that's gonna right. essentially disrespect me. I Incidentally, I don't think Bret Hart actually cheated on his wife. I think that was just something that Sean like heard as a rumor and like didn't really happen. Yeah, I, th- I don't think Brett actually cheated on his wife. Yeah, I think probably, he was just being a shithead. It probably didn't matter to Sean. Whether I, it was I don't true think or right not. exactly. Yeah, it, um, it probably didn't matter to Brett whether it was right, true. Or right, not. Exactly. It was just like it's that's just a shitty thing, thing to, to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Brett. Basically, it might have mattered to Brett's wife. It might have mattered to Brett's wife. I think she's the one that cares the most. She probably cared the most, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But Brett does not want to drop, he's not letting Sean go over, basically. He's, he's, and he definitely doesn't want to do it in Canada because, you know, he is kind of, 
He's a bad boy in Canada. I mean. yeah, right. But well, he's like, he's a big deal. You know what I mean? This is going to sound silly, but Canadians don't really have any representation in professional wrestling except for Bret Hart. Now they, you know, Jericho. Jericho now, right? Yeah, right. But they don't really have, they at this time, they didn't really have anybody. They had Bret Hart. That's who they had to cheer for. So he's like the guy. Yeah. Um, so he's a humongous deal. He's a way. humongous deal up north, right. Um, kind of a big deal. So we're getting into the Survivor Series pay-per-view here in November. Every mm-hmm. other match has a plan. And I'm going to – this is where kind of Jim Cornette's story comes in. Uh, I would always recommend that everybody listen to Jim Cornette because I love listening to him talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, real funny kind of guy. Um, but uh, Cornette is uh, a booker for WWF at the time. And uh, by his account uh, – there's a lot of different accounts to this story. But by Cornette's account – they did not have a finish for the match because they could not come to an agreement on what was going to happen at the end of the show. Um, they they didn't know a plan. They they talked with Sean. They talked with Brett. They Vince Russo was the head writer at the time. They were trying to work out something where everybody would be happy. Okay. Um, so by Brett's account, what the finish and this was planned very late late hour. This is like last hour. Mm-hmm. Um, by Brett's account, the plan was Shawn Michaels would put Brett in his own submission hold, the sharpshooter. Brett mm. would pop up, reverse it, and have the edge. They would bump. They'd bump the ref first. The, like the ref would go down. Um, Shawn would put him in the submission. Brett would reverse it, and then Shawn's DX buddies would come out, and there'd be some interference. The ref would wake up. They'd see it disqualified so brett retains the title oh, okay. um, and so then the next I night yeah the next night he would drop the belt or you know what i mean they'd figure out a way to get him to drop it later but he doesn't want to drop it in canada and he certainly doesn't want to drop it to sean michaels right so that by brett hart's account that's what vince mcmahon told him uh what was actually planned uh and who knew about what was actually planned is the subject of endless debate <laughs> there are a couple people who definitely did know what was going to happen. One of them was Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. Another one was uh, one of his uh, uh, booking agents and uh, talent scouts, a guy by the name of Gerald Briscoe, was a famous wrestler in his old right from the old school. Um, and he kind of was part of like locker room management and stuff like that. He knew. Uh, and we now know later that Sean definitely knew what was going to happen. Although he played it off for many years like he did not. He finally admitted, yeah, he knew what was going to happen. Oh, man. I'm all excited Um, now. (laughs) (laughs) So the show has no planned finish until the, like, 11th hour. Uh, Disqualification, Brett's out. Uh, It's important to know uh, at this time that Vince McMahon on television in kayfabe is not the chairman of the WWF. He's just a commentator, and he's starting to be part of the storyline, but technically he's not coming out as the owner of the WWF yet. Okay. He's not technically – they don't – people know that, but they don't know that in kayfabe, right? Gotcha. Um, so it's here that – So I, his dad is still the owner. Well, his dad's dead at this point, I think. Okay. Um, who, who do people think owns it, or do they just not think about that? Well, they just – it's one of those things you don't think about. They I can't remember the name of the guy that they paraded as the owner of the okay. WWF, but it wasn't – it just was like, not Vince. It was just some guy that he had in his management some team. Mr. Guy um, that's there to run the place. Um, so it's here. Uh, I suppose that I, I kind of look away from my book that I've been 
nosing through this whole time. Yes. And we get to the match. Uh, they wrestle a really good match. This is a really, really good match. These are two of the top technical wrestlers in the world at the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's back and forth, and the crowd is into it. They're in Montreal, so they're going for Bret Hart. Um, and they're behind him all the way. And these two, it, it's just as good as you'd imagine the top two guys going at it. I mean, it's a barn burner. Yeah. Um, and we get towards the end of the match. And Vince McMahon comes down, and he's got his goons. He's got Gerald Briscoe and a guy named Pat Patterson, who's also you know an older wrestler, part of the management team. He also has uh, Triple H out there with him. And they're going for the spot that's supposed to be the finish. Uh, Sean puts Brett in the sharpshooter, and referee Earl Hebner, who was just bumped a second ago, kind of gets up. And before Brett can reverse the sharpshooter back and pop Sean into it, he says he hears somebody say, ring the bell. And then Earl Hebner turns to the bellkeeper, rings the bell, slides out of the ring, runs to the back, gets in his car and drives the fuck away. It's a true story. He was the first person out of the building. He made it to the, the his car in three minutes flat. I can imagine. Um, but they ring the bell. Uh, it's mass confusion. Uh, yeah. Uh, Vince basically has all those guys out there as bodyguards uh, to kind of protect himself. But, he, you know. Um, incidentally, Earl Hebner was also in on the, was in on it, which is why yeah. he bolted the he, fuck out of there. It was not going to be good to stick right. around. Uh, so you see the end of the match to Sean's credit. He plays it off really well. He goes, what? You know, he's like, he also seems confused. And he goes, yeah, and he's like, acting it out really well. You know, you he know, looks not, pissed off because he, looks pissed he, off. because he knows, or he's appearing to, to, to signal that. You know, well, we, you know, this well, isn't what we well, this is yeah. right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and Brett is very, very confused. And he sort of realized. I like the fact that what's going on right now in wrestling and this part of the story is the owner that people don't necessarily know is the owner. A commentator who seems to have <laughs> yeah. some power um, <laughs> is basically admitting that. um there is such a thing as kayfabe. Yeah. These matches are planned, and I just fucked one up. And neither exactly. of my wrestlers exactly. knows the plan. And this is a key part of the Attitude Era, as we will talk about. Um, hi, Bo. <laughs> Dog is just nosing right his way up. up on you. Um, so Brett stands up. He looks confused for a moment. And then you kind of see on the footage him sort of realize what's happening. Yeah. And he stands up and he leans against the ropes and he looks Vince McMahon in the eye and he spits in his face. And he hits him. I mean, pretty accurate. Yeah. Big loogie right on the eye. Uh, hits Vince in the face. Uh, Vince grabs Sean. They hand him his, his belt that he just won. Uh, and they rush him kind of towards the back. Oh, my God. Uh, Vince also follows in the back, locks himself in his main office. Uh, a couple guys that were Brett's family. Brett's family, incidentally, is ringside for this. So they're, the sure. whole Hart family is there. Sure. Why all wouldn't they? Kids, all, 12, all 11 of them. Yeah, are right. Brett. Brett's kids. And probably Owen's his dad kids, if he's still alive. Stu Hart's there. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Stu is there. Stu Hart's there. They're that's, all. That sucks. Yeah. It's really, it's really shitty. His wife's there. They're all there ringside. Uh, Owen Hart. Uh, go, Bo. Go lay down, Scott. Uh, you know, he's joined in the ring by his family. Uh, he, after he spins at Vince's face, he looks at the camera that's still airing on pay-per-view, and he writes the letters W, C, W, right in the camera on a WWF pay-per-view. Whoa. Uh, and then what you don't see after the pay-per-view is that Bret Hart destroys ringside. He 
goes up over to the commentators' tables. He throws all the monitors out. He breaks all the tables. He's throwing chairs around. People are throwing trash in the ring. He's in Canada. So yeah. if you, you can't hear it on the, the network footage now because they blurred a lot of that out. But uh, the whole crowd's going, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. They basically have half a riot on their hands here at this point. Yeah. Um, and I can't blame him. Right, exactly. Um, so there's a, a really great documentary that describes, that shows this whole scene. Uh, it's a, a documentary called Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows. Uh, Brett had, because his contract had basically expired and he was going, you know, day to day with WWF at the time, uh, he had a documentary crew come in and talk about his family, talk about him and talk about what he's going to be doing, you know, when he makes the switch to WCW. Yeah. So these guys got permission to be on a WWF floor to record it. So they have really great insider footage of this happening. Yeah. Um, incidentally, this documentary is one of the reasons that a lot of people cite this as, as the most elaborate work in wrestling history, which we'll get to at some point. We're going we're gonna to talk about this. What's the little. documentary called again? It's called Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows. Okay. Uh, I can show you guys a little bit of it. Yeah, at some I'm point. going to watch also, this. Regardless of whether or not it was planned, it's really excellent television yeah. for yeah. someone for this to happen and for Bret Hart to write WCW into the right. monitor because it gives an explanation that he didn't really formally have for going right. to WCW. It gives a kayfabe explanation right. for going to WCW. Yeah, it does. So actually. a lot of people cite, they think because that's the big reason that everybody cites that this is a work is that it was a, you know, he had this big documentary crew following him and it's like too perfect that it happened. Sure. Incidentally, I don't think it was a work. Uh, if you talk to, if it is a work, it's no less than the most elaborate work in wrestling history. He's yeah. doing the best acting. He's of his doing career the right best, here. exactly all <laughs> of them, everybody. And it also seems to like be completely counter to their personal motivations. Exactly, yeah. like everything about like like appreciating them as individuals with motives yeah. doesn't. It and doesn't. Yeah, work. Uh, he wouldn't want Michaels to win, or he yeah he wouldn't want Shawn Michaels to win, right? And all the like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's this big, you know, it, if it is a work, it's the most elaborate work that's ever been done. I don't believe it's a work. Then again, the flip side of that is, you know, like McMahon was super desperate, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Why not pull the most absolutely, you know, stunning work, work of all history? Yeah, right. I don't think Vince is that smart, and that's not a discredit to Vince McMahon. That's I don't true. think anybody's that smart because I don't think anybody could have predicted what happened after this. All okay. right. So what happened? Yeah. So yes. uh, let's get into the post-fight uh, scene. After Brett is done destroying the ringside, uh, he's pretty much as escorted by event staff towards the back where he ends up in a locker room with Shawn Michaels. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Probably poor planning, and he turns to Shawn and he's like, Sean, you didn't know anything about this, did you? And Sean goes, I didn't, I, you know, I, was, I, you know, my hands are clean. I didn't know, you know, I swear I didn't know they were going to do it. I thought we were going to, you know. Yeah. Uh, again, we now know that Sean definitely knew uh, what he, by his own admission, um, you know, came out and said um, Vince had locked himself in his office. Um, we have, because of this documentary footage, we know a little bit about, you know, how this all transpired. But at one point they, the, you know, Brett looks at the camera and he's like, I don't want to, you know, not right now. So they shut the camera off. And the next time we see the camera, it's uh, Vince McMahon lumbering out of his office and he looks dazed and he's got a really big black eye. 
Oh, shit. And they ask Brett what happened, and he says, he ran into my fist. Um, (laughs) Bret Hart knocked Vince McMahon out cold, hit him so hard that he knocked him out cold. Oh, my God. Um, He was so pissed. Because, again, this guy's like a father figure to him. So Yeah. And it's like this ultimate betrayal. Um, Mm -hmm. There's footage of uh, Brett's wife kind of lambasting uh, Triple H. And uh-huh. some of the other guys in the back, and she said, "You knew about this. You're all gonna go home. You're all gonna go to the hotel, have a couple of drinks, and just fucking laugh about this." Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's this very awkward, you know, cold moment between everybody. Uh, so the end of that documentary is Brett getting in the car and then going home. Yeah. Um, and going into WCW, um, which I guess brings us to the close of the story, the aftermath, the yeah. reason. Why this is all so important. Um, In the aftermath for WWF, uh, Vince McMahon is revealed to be the actual chairman of WWF. Sure. Um, Brett does something that is kind of really seriously out of character for any wrestler. Um, After this event, everything's kind of really confusing. The next day he goes to the news. He goes to the press and he says... I didn't really lose it. I got screwed out of this. He basically tells the story like, yeah, I didn't. This wasn't planned. Yeah. He tells his 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 understanding of what happened. This this guy's a real shithead and he screwed me. So this becomes a national phenomenon, which is a huge (laughs) boost for Vince McMahon. Of course, because mm-hmm. any any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, now right? everyone's going to be watching to figure out who this Vince <laughs> exactly. McMahon guy is and why he did what he exactly. did. Exactly. So yeah. Brett's Brett's revenge kind of backfires here, because in response to all this media attention, uh, they have good old Jr. do a shoot interview live on Monday Night Raw with Vince McMahon, who is now revealed to be the chairman of the company. Uh. And Vince McMahon says the famous line that a lot of people that you're going to hear now from now until eternity. um, I didn't screw Bret Hart. Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, Uh, this is the creation of the Vince McMahon character that we know. Yeah. Uh, The dickhead boss. Yeah. by Shawn Michaels' description, the cold-blooded corporate, yeah, yeah. manager of who wrestling, basically. Exactly. Who doesn't <laughs> want to give their boss the finger and then hit him with a stone cold stunner? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is done, uh, from what I believe, completely by accident. Uh, by Shawn Michaels' description, Vince came to him with this plan and said, "I'll take all the heat from it from the guys backstage." Uh, you know, he thought because Brett was the heel in America, everybody was going to be on his side, and they'd be like, "Ah, yeah, screw Bret Hart." People weren't because <laughs> yeah. he was like a main event guy and whether or not he was in kayfabe, the bad guy or not, you know, people really like Bret Hart and sure. to see him get fucked over like that on live TV. And I'm sure other wrestlers were right. really upset about this, right. even ones that weren't specifically involved. Exactly. Because it means if I raise to the top and something happens, mm-hmm. this guy's duplicitous and he'll just fuck me over. Exactly. Again, if everything is about respect and some kind of honor. This is shitty. This yeah. is super, super the, fucked The guy up. in charge just showed us that it right. doesn't matter to him. Yeah. And again, I'm going to quote Jim Cornette here uh, because a lot of guys weren't mad. Mick Foley is one of those guys, incidentally, who was not happy about this and, and like walked off. He was supposed to be on the taping the next night, walked off, didn't do it. Yeah. And Jim Cornette said he had to be the one to call Mick and be like, no, you really need to. You know what I mean? He's like, well, it's not. And, he's, and he said, Mick, you're mad that a promoter screwed one of the guys over. 
That is also a longstanding tradition in this very, very cutthroat business. Promoters in the old territory days used to screw over guys all the time. It's part, yeah. part of the business. That's the way it works. Basically, you have a job to do. Go do your job. Exactly. But, you know, to happen to such a high-profile guy on such a public event, this was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so the Vince McMahon character is created. Uh, a guy named Stone Cold Steve Austin has, thank you, thanks to Bret Hart, gotten a pretty enormous push. Yeah. And is now slated to take the top spot at the top of the card. He and was the late 90s. He was the yeah. late 90s. He was the late 90s. And then we see the full transformation into what would be known as the Attitude Era, where we got The Rock and Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. And Can I say that one of the most disappointing character work and storylines of any wrestler I've ever watched <laughs> is Triple H? Yeah. Because his entire storyline... Pretty much started and became and just always has been corporate chill. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Right. He's now Stephanie McMahon's husband, and mm-hmm. that's yeah. what he is. Right. And that <laughs> sucks. I always liked Triple H. Yeah. yeah. And it fucking sucks. Yeah. It, I, it's just lame. It is it's lame. a bad story. Yeah. He's just the get along. Is that the idea? Is the yeah, kind of. He's, uh, the... he's also yeah. an expert barrier. <laughs> Any wrestling fans are going to know this. Triple H burying talent, just yeah. going over everybody because he's yeah. in charge now. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's lazy story writing. Exactly. is what it is. Exactly. It's like, oh sure. well, we need something to happen. Well, Triple H can sure. do it. Oh, why can he do it? Well, he's married to the boss. Well, exactly. Right. Uh, and yeah. post Attitude Era, we start to see that lazy story writing come through. Um, but uh, you know, this is the big wrestling boom. The 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 Montreal Screwjob set off the Attitude Era. Yeah. It, it basically was one of the reasons that. The Monday Night War was won by WWF. Why the WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, is still here today mm-hmm. and why WCW is not. Yeah. Um, Bret Hart, incidentally, as a sad aside to the story, went to WCW and was horribly misbooked uh, thanks to a guy named Hulk Hogan uh, <laughs> and a guy named might have heard of him. Kevin Nash and a guy named Scott Hall. Who basically uh, were in Eric Bischoff's ear all the time because they were the top talent with NWO. Nobody they didn't like this guy coming over from WWE. Yeah, a guy that had already spot. a guy that had already given their buddy a hard time earlier. Um, so he was horribly misbooked. They they misbooked maybe the hottest star at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, he still had two points. So he didn't million. stop getting screwed. No, he did not right. stop getting screwed. Uh, he also suffered a, a pretty, a pretty horrible in-ring accident uh, with Goldberg, a uh, wrestler mm-hmm. everybody knows. Um, it was, it was just an accident. Uh, Goldberg went to land a super kick, and he he was a little too close to Brett when he went up for it, um, and he actually caught Brett in the temple and gave him a really nasty concussion. Uh, bad enough that it basically ended his career. He never got the chance to wrestle a normal wrestling match again. Um, so not only was he horribly misbooked, uh, he you know got cut out of the business. God, um, that's sad. That's a, yeah, it, it, it's pretty awful. Um, Shawn Michaels, incidentally, this guy who I've talked shit on. Pretty much this whole time. <laughs> yeah. uh, for what it's worth, Shawn Michaels is a, a, a born-again Christian. He's basically pretty much admitted to all of his misdeeds. Uh, has long since apologized to Bret Hart for everything, you know, for what okay. it for you know, for what it was worth. They made an uneasy piece over it. Um Shawn Michaels, you know, was pretty much able to get the forgiveness of everybody that he had pissed off. Uh, because he is very, very, very good at what he does. Right. Um, 
And uh, like I said, later, uh, I guess we could talk about WrestleMania 14, which was the one, the, the event shortly after this, when Stone Cold Steve Austin won his first title. Um, this was Shawn Michaels' first basically retirement match. He was done after this. Um, yeah. The rule in wrestling is you go out on your back um, mm-hmm. you, to put somebody else over, and that guy was going to be Stone Cold. Sean allegedly did not want to drop the belt to Stone Cold. Uh-huh. Uh, and a guy by the name of Mark Calloway, who everybody knows as The Undertaker, yeah. um, uh, the rumor is he taped his fists up and he took Sean aside in the locker room and said, You have two choices. You're either going to, this is the night of the pay per view. Yeah. So you're either going to drop the title out there to him or I'll be waiting for you when you come back here if you don't. Uh, Sean did the job, dropped Stone Cold. Sean retired. Got his back repaired by some miracle back surgeon and yoga <laughs> and came back and uh, completed the second half of his career uh, still being a top draw and uh, being a genu- genuinely better I remember, person. I remember yeah. that. I yeah. remember him being gone for a long time and then hearing later that he was back and I was like, what? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> He's still doing that? Yeah, yeah. He was still booked on TV for a little bit. I think they booked him as the commissioner, or like the guy who booked the matches for a long time, mm-hmm. but he didn't wrestle because he couldn't. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, I, I remember people hearing people talk about the heartbreak kick yeah, and I was back. like, really? What? No. That but, yeah. was a thing that ended like when around when I stopped watching wrestling. Yeah. And then he was back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he uh, ge- I think genuinely became a much better person after, you know, yeah. all this happened and, you know, he made his peace with Brett. Uh, but that is the Montreal screw job. That is <laughs> the most important, <laughs> I would argue, moment in wrestling history and why it was so important. Fantastically told. Thank I'm, you. I'm enthralled by this. You know, like, I Sweating. feel like you told me about this before. None of this rang a bell this time. I had forgotten just about all of it. Well, I'm I'm sorry if that, again, I keep apologizing. I'm sorry no, if that ran long. <clears throat> no, do not apologize it doesn't matter. for that delivering was, a very depthy. It was a great story, and I th- I think... I think the majority of people who listen to us probably don't know a lot about wrestling. So I think yes. the level of detail you deliver that with was necessary. Yeah. I appreciated it because yeah. I did listen. I listened to a lot of wrestling. Well, there's never a lot of watch never, it, though. We uh, my family blindfolded me. <laughs> we were only allowed to use our ears for wrestling because you sin with your eyes. Yes. yes. See no evil. You can hear all the evil you want, though. Um <laughs> Uh, I used to watch a lot of wrestling. I watch it inconsistently at best now. Yeah, yeah. right. And at best. And and still a lot of this I didn't know. I knew things surrounding it, but I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. The main thing. So that's sweet. It's worth repeating now that you've now that you've done all this, the two uh, pieces of extra information here, the Inside Out by Ollie Anderson, yeah, yeah. Um, um, that's that's pretty much basically about the entire breakup of the territories. And again, Vince McMahon was the guy who busted the territories. He's yeah. the one who took wrestling corporate and made it what it is today, which yeah. is good and maybe not so good. Yeah. Uh, and Ollie is very unapologetic about explaining that. And then the second recommendation: Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of really great footage. If you want to see great footage of Screw Job. I think you can find that on YouTube at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, fast forward towards the end of that. 
you can see pretty much everything that happened as it happened. You can see him destroying the ring right in the WCW, spitting in Vince McMahon's eye. Yeah. Um, that's all on there. So the business is forever changed after this, huh? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, you, I mean, this this ushers in a whole different era of wrestling. The it's, Attitude Era. Yeah. yeah. The Attitude Era. God, that's so interesting to me. The thing that everybody remembers fondly. And then... It slowly declined. I'm, I'm incidentally, I'm one of those people who stopped watching sometime around 04. Okay. Post-Attitude Era. Uh, I watched a little bit again when CM Punk came in because I heard that he was good. And he was. <coughs> um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't really watch so much anymore. Uh, yeah. the, the, this, that, this was kind of my heyday for wrestling. So Yeah. I'll watch, like, Royal Rumble. I went. WrestleMania, so the person yeah. who suggested we watch this was my friend, or you do this topic, yeah. was my friend Adam. Adam is the one who throws an amazing Royal Rumble yeah, party. Yeah, we, we call right. it the Royal Rumble party because of his name. But... <laughs> he, is this the event that I attended with you where there's uh, a case of... Uh, you it's didn't case come of with me last last time, but the time before, yeah. we went to part of it, but we had to drive home before right. the main event, so yeah. we didn't get to enjoy it. But this is where they do a fun thing where it's like there's there's a case of King's beers or whatever. They're like these they're like little you basically short beer everyone and... who's there gets a bottle, at least one bottle, sometimes multiple, usually multiple of King's with a wrestler's name on it, mm-hmm. and when your wrestler is thrown out. You have to chug your bottle of Kings, <laughs> which is really fun. That's awesome. Yeah, and there are always mystery wrestlers too. So yeah. some people just have numbers on their bottles, and that's the first mystery wrestler, second mystery right. wrestler. Yeah, and we also had um, like screw over bottles. One you might get a bottle that just says "Chug me now." Yeah, or you might get a you you might get a bottle that says like pick an envelope and you get to pick an envelope that gives you the ability to do something like switch a bottle with someone else so you could win the royal rumble by switching a bottle with someone else maybe yeah there was a mix-up there was a big mix-up at this royal rumble and (laughs) someone won at the last minute (laughs) disappointingly we missed wrestlemania this year we did miss wrestlemania we meant meant to watch it because last year we watched and we had such a great time yeah the undertaker's uh, retirement was that yeah yeah no i feel like maybe you were out of town or i was was, i I was out of town uh, proposing to my fiance actually (laughs) yeah that's that's right that's right oh man yeah you really you really fucked fucked up that weekend for me No, we should do it again. Actually, How dare um, you? Uh, well, SummerSlam is rolling around. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the, the big four are like I don't SummerSlam. know. I feel like someone else might be getting engaged in yeah. SummerSlam. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I think that's every year, every Something event, there's happens. someone else is going to get engaged. We're running out of people <laughs> to get engaged. <laughs> uh, no, like the big four, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, the Royal Rumble, and WrestleMania. Those yeah. are like the ones you kind of want to see. At some point, I want to get the, the WWE network, and then we can watch all the pay per views. Oh yeah, that'd be fun. At the very least, get it. You know, get the month trial and just yeah. spend a couple of weeks watching a bunch of classics. Old, old classics, yeah. yeah. Uh, incidentally, if you're listening and you you want to watch any of those matches I recommended, every single one of those is really good. So yeah, check those out. I think that about does it. Thank Holy hell, that was that'll do. That yeah. was such a good episode. Thank, thank you guys you. for coming thank on. Let me on the show. Or go, thank you guys for coming on to my show. Oh, well, <laughs> thank, thank you all. Thank you so for much. coming on my this show. Chris been, talks about wrestling. This has been Wrestling World with Chris. <laughs> I'm so happy to be your guest. Uh, actually, Wrestling Chris's World, uh, also known as WCW, and uh, <laughs> Chris's World. Do the Eric Bischoff smile.
so again, as we uh, as we end every episode. Thank you for listening to Goose Chase. Goose Chase. Uh, Goose Chase. Please continue to. (laughs) I've been waiting for a long time to do that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Please continue to send us your topic ideas and suggestions at goosechasepodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash. What? Goose Chase. Is it Goose Uh, Chase Podcast? Goose Chase Podcast. Yeah. 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 Find us on Facebook uh, and and, uh, by Gmail and. Sorry, I missed my cue on that. (laughs) We will see you next week with another episode of Goose Chase. Bye. Bye. Goose Chase. Goose Chase. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Goose Chase. Bye. I was too early. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Goose Chase. We are Goose Chase Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, our handle is at GooseChasePod, and our website is www.GooseChasePodcast.com. If you have any topics you'd like us to research, please email us at GooseChasePodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do on the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Google Play. Want to go on a goose chase? Ooh, yes. 